Welcome to the Death Taco Podcast. I'm your host, Chris, and today I'm joined by Nick. Feeling Re- today, man. Reoccurring guest. What's up? I'm feeling great. Practically co-host at this point. I need like a title. Because you're host and you know, I don't know. I don't know like what I am. Well, I'm the captain, so you can be my cabin boy. That sounds sexual. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> booty holder. <laughs> the booty holder. <laughs> Sounds that sounds the opposite sexual. <laughs> sounds like the captain's other title. <laughs> uh, I don't know, dude. Just be fucking co-host, I guess. At this point, no, no, co-host is too too elevated. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll do some workshopping on that. Exactly. Uh, today we've gathered to discuss the 1987 British supernatural horror film Hellraiser, which is. I feel like it's up there, not necessarily on the Mount Rushmore, but it's pretty up there in terms of classics. Yeah, as far as like iconic imagery from a horror movie goes, the image of Hellraiser, Pinhead, the main Cenobite, whatever you want to call him, the bad, main bad guy, is like one of the more iconic images in horror, I believe, especially from that era. You're actually right, because the movie, probably not to think about it, isn't that known, but it's more so the main antagonist, Pinhead. Yeah, so let me tell. So I had like it's funny. I've never seen this movie. You've never seen it. I had never seen Hellraiser. I'd only seen like little clips of maybe. I don't even know if it was from from the first one. I, I like there are so many sequels. I don't know if that's the clip I saw from it. So going in and knowing the the only thing I had in my mind was Pinhead. Mm-hmm. So I had no fucking clue what this was about. So what did you, like, did you have any assumptions about what you were going to see? Were you like, this is just going to be like a standard, cheesy, old movie? From what I from what I thought, just because the only clips I'd ever seen is just Pinhead in, like, the underground, the underworld, the other universe or whatever, I thought it was going to take place in a, multi, a different universe and maybe just be in some, like, hellscape the whole time and someone had to go into the hellscape and then... From my understanding, that that was what, just what the movie's going to be. Yeah, that's uh, what the second one's about. But yeah, not this one. This one's definitely more grounded, correct? Yeah, it was like an actual grounded horror movie that just, you know, had elements of supernaturalness. But it wasn't like this insane, like, multidimensional. It was, but it didn't really, like, leave you feeling either A, confused, or B, being like, this is way too much for one movie. Yeah, like, I feel like it was more of a thriller, more suspense with the supernatural stuff more in the background until, of course, it's not. It's not really in the background. I mean, no, it's not really in the background. Sorry, Stephon. The, the toes immediately there, but it is, I didn't even think of it as, like, supernatural thriller. I thought it was more of, like, it, it more, like, belonged in the, like, the realm of, like, the supernatural stuff was there, but it was more of, like, a basic instinct, like a sexual thriller in any in a way it's very sexual it is insanely sexual movie it's weird all right so this movie is directed by clive barker uh-huh. uh clive barker's well known i've heard the name a lot but i haven't seen a lot of his movies he's got a movie called the lord of illusions the midnight meat train i've seen the lord of illusions but that's just a couple of them he did a lot of movies mostly like pre-2000 and hasn't done a whole lot since all of his stuff after that seems like it's straight to video stuff um, and this is based on a book called, mm-hmm. uh, the hellbound heart, which I read. You did. 
Yeah, uh, actually, the audiobook. So it's a short, like, 180 pages, so it took, like, three hours, but I listened to it at work. Uh, more or less the exact same story. <laughs> the exact page for page. I almost didn't watch the movie because I was like, this sounds just like the damn movie. But, um, so I've seen this movie, bro, because it played on TV, right? Yeah. Obviously, when you watch this on, like, AMC or some shit, they're going to cut out, you know, some stuff. A lot of stuff to cut out on cable, yeah. So this was my, like, I've seen this a handful of times, but not recently, but I have seen it. But watching it, like, on, you know, the streaming site where they keep all the extra goody stuff in was a whole nother fucking movie, bro. <laughs> so you, you, so was, when did you watch this? First uh, movie? Probably, I don't know, bro. Like, it had to be within, like, five years ago. Like, it, I was... It was recent, but not, like, crazy recent. Okay. Because, like I said, this was the first time I saw it. And so I was going to watch it on Tubi. Is the, you know, the streaming site that has commercials and stuff. And I, just, like, started it up. I was like, no, nah, I can't do commercials with this. Like, I'm just going to have to watch it all the way through. I know this is a classic. I'm really excited to get into this one. And I could imagine watching the AMC version. Like the TV oh, version. Oh, all the stuff they couldn't put in there? Oh, there's, it's such a like an uncomfortably sexual movie in like a demented way. It's it's the graphicness, bro. It's very graphic. It's very like much like a lot of shock like Im imagery in it. Mm -hmm. Just like random decay, maggots, rats everywhere just to kind of get you uneasy. And then on top of that, you are very uneasy about the the sexual relationships in this movie and just it's it's a lot so on that i'm gonna go ahead and summarize what the movie basically is about so there's this dude and he's trying to like seek the ultimate pleasure he's a super perv frank's a perv frank incredible perv the per the nastiest bro like the guy who like sits in the back of the mcdonald's you know what I'm saying? One hand's always under the table. You never know what he's doing. Come to daddy. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, he goes and he finds a puzzle box and, you know, the most stereotypical of Asian scenarios. Oh, man. The voice was like <laughs> the Asian voice that they use. It needs to be dubbed over how stereotypical it was. It, was, it wasn't even stereotypical. It was just racist. Let's put it that way. So you are seeking pleasures it was terrible i was like oh my god i was like man it's not it's not aged well there's some movies that like immediately date themselves and that was like the first line of the movie i was like well okay <laughs> this is movies from the 70s or 80s like it's old yeah yeah so this dude he gets like this puzzle box from this asian guy he opens it up and and bad stuff happens to him <clears throat> he gets sucked into a hellscape correct yeah immediately bad things and um, apparently he does it in the house that his brother is going to move into. It seemed to be their, uh, so Frank and Larry are brothers. It seemed to be their family home and that had been left decrepit for a few years. And Frank, the guy who was seeking the pleasures, wants to come home and take over the house. And he was staying there for a while. And then this happens to him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it turns out that him and his brother's wife have some kind of relationship and she has to do some awful things to help him out. Frank, the man who was sucked into the hellscape. I'm trying to be vague still. Okay. 
And um, yeah, that's, that's more or less what it's about. Yeah, more or less the plot of the movie is Frank trying to escape the hellscape. With the help of his brother's woman. Who he had a sexual past with. A very questionable sexual past. Let's just questionable at best. Yes. So this was originally uh, a British film. That's why the fucking wife has a British accent. I noticed immediately when we were watching the movie that um, a lot of the characters looked like they were dubbed. Yeah, and especially they, Frank, bro. Frank had the most like obvious <laughs> one to me. And they were dubbed, but I guess that the when they started making the movie that they didn't want it to seem like a British movie, so they dubbed over some of the actors and then changed the setting to New York. That's why a lot of the city they show doesn't look like New York at all. Mm-hmm. Like not even a little bit. No, like there's no like not one skyline shot. You don't see one size skyscraper at all. People are saying "Jolly Good Morning" to you. And he's like, "What? This is in New York." And then uh, one of the uh, the the guys that the the wife like her name's Julia. Julia brings is also has a British accent, and it's like what are the chances that two foreigners run into each other at a bar like in the middle of you know the U.S. A lot of a lot of British people there for it not to be said in England. Exactly. <laughs> And it's never addressed why she has a British accent. <laughs> oh, and also, so I was looking up like different quick facts from the movie. And then the first scene when the Frank gets the uh, the cube from the strange Asian man, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be Cambodia. Ah, which is also makes it really weird why this Asian guy with a very stereotypical accent is there. Why he speaks English perfectly? <laughs> That's such weird. He's like, it was always your box. I would I would question that. Just a wee bit. Like, was it always mine? I'm buying it from you now. Frank was into some shady stuff, man. So <laughs> he was probably like, you're right. You're right. You're right. I kept on saying to me and my girlfriend watched this on Thursday. And I kept on telling her, like, just randomly, be like, come to daddy. <laughs> come to daddy. It made her uncomfortable, to say the least. It's definitely... <laughs> That's a that's a move. I don't know how to describe that. <laughs> when I read the book, there's a line in the book, and it's like, um, <clears throat> there's only a handful of men that can truly pull off the come to daddy, and Frank isn't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it acknowledged how creepy it was. It does. It does. Um, I, I feel like I could probably, like, in the world, you could probably count on your hand how many men can pull off the come to daddy. Yeah, there I can't would, be more than ten dudes like out of the billions of us out here that that can say that. Bro, I don't even know if there's that many. <laughs> Come to daddy is such a bold statement. Yeah, like and say it not sarcastically, right? Especially if it's like someone who's like not your like partner already, you know, like someone who you're not already with, and just be like roll up on a girl at a club, and be like, hey, come to daddy. No, no, never. I don't do it, it. It has to be somebody like country. Okay, and older i feel like if you say it, you also have to be like extremely attractive or charismatic both probably yes you can't just be like eccentric because you can't be like a guy in a fucking like business suit like yeah then i picture it seems like he's trying to buy you bro i picture like matthew mcconaughey oh he can say it come to daddy he's like come to daddy <laughs> that's like kind come, of halfway come to daddy too. He can pull it off. He can come in like... See what I'm saying? The country accent helps it a little bit. You can see him at like a saloon. People are like line dancing and stuff. He walks up to the girl at the bar and like gets her a drink. Does a little... Come to daddy. That could work. 
But it has he has to look exactly like Matthew McConaughey. Maybe even yeah. he, he's even like two years too old now. Maybe like three years ago, Matthew McConaughey. And for it to like be received well, yes. <laughs> That's a weird tangent, but I think I think we really did just like discover something there. Like it's true. We made a good rule. Never say come to daddy. Like if I had an audience right now, I'd be like, all right, we're gonna hold like auditions. Send me a video of you saying it and I'll tell you whether or not it works. <laughs> it's gonna be a lot of it's gonna be real easy work <laughs> on this side. No. Just gonna be a bunch of like black screens with like it coming out of the darkness, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so scary. Just come to daddy. Come to daddy. Come to daddy. I said that way too many times already, dude. I know that's enough sound bites to last a while. <laughs> Hopefully I don't get ever get uh, deep faked. Oh, that would suck ass. This is me doing some creepy shit. Are you the one who was saying you have a fear of getting like deep faked? I have a fear of deep fakes in general. I think it's going to be, it's it's just a scary thing to have out in society. Yeah. It's always been, it's kind of been uh, a joke forever. Yeah. Now they're good. Bro, there's a, you know, remember that old movie Revenge of the Nerds? Yeah. There's like in the fourth one or some shit, there's deep fake in that. And that's from like 80 something. Really? They're doing like a... Uh, I can't remember. I just remember they use it. It's one of the tropes they use in the movie. Like at some point they like do some type of splice on a old VHS tape that there's a framing some guy and he's like, that's not me. And it really wasn't. It was like a deep fake. Oh, really? So that concept has been around since that. It's crazy. Deep faking. Not good. Not at all. But, uh, you think of anything else we could talk about before we spoil the shit out of this? No, let's jump right in. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so first impressions, man. How'd you like it? I really like this movie. This movie, like I said, it was nothing at all what I expected to be going in. But I like sometimes you get like a suggestion for a movie and you know, sometimes like you hear so much about it it's overhyped to you. Yeah. This wasn't that. This was more of like you hear like the movie and you like know the pet like you hear like it so much and hear it held in such a high regard you kind of like look at it as like oh man this one has like it's like a pedigree that it already has in your mind mm-hmm. it's like when someone tells you like like uh like with basketball like hey this player's really good watch this dude when you watch like the hornets or something play like watching Lamelo, and i'm like immediately like okay this dude's about to impress me like it's not like a weird hype it's just like me like being excited to like kind of come to terms with what everybody already knows and that this movie's good. So I really, really enjoyed it. And I was like really in a good state of mind going in, just like expecting to have like a quality horror movie that is a classic. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, so you're saying like you had like kind of the bar already raised for this going in and it met it to you. Oh, I don't think it ha- like it wasn't one of those where like I felt like oh man like I'm super hyped to watch this movie because I think a lot of new movies are like that yeah where like people like kind of hype 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 and then it doesn't meet it this one was one of those where I went into it almost with like a respect for it before I saw it because I knew that so- it meant so much to so many people that I knew that it was gonna have some type of something for me yeah I. I personally didn't expect it to be as graphic as it was. Really? Like I said, the amount of times I've seen it, I've always heard people talk about how this movie's brutal, but like I said, since I've never seen the uncensored version, watching it for the first time was it was a chore. Not a chore. Um I liked it. That's the best way to describe it. Uh-huh. Cuz I like shock scenes if they're done, I feel for if they serve a purpose, right? 
And the purpose of the the gore and the graphic stuff was kind of to show the brutality of the Cenobites. And so, like, the first scenes we see in the movie, like, after Frank opens the box and he's in front of the the candles and stuff, Uh the part where the Cenobites are, like, walking... I think it's just Cenobites. The Cenobites are walking through the uh, attic and there's just, like, pieces of flesh all over the fucking wall, the floors. There's that pillar with, like, flesh nailed to it and uh they're like putting frank's face together in the pieces on the mm-hmm. floor and uh i remember i just watched it bro like wow i love it it was one of those scenes where like when you're sitting there watching it like you don't want to move the like location of where your hands are you don't want to like you kind of just like are stuck because you're like in, mentally in your mind you don't want to like reach out your arms or something and accidentally touch what you're seeing on the screen and like in like yeah. a real meta like physical way that this movie really affected me a lot like that like when they're in that attic multiple times there was just like rats or something gross there was a rat's nailed to the wall just stuff like that just made you like it made the hairs kind of stand up on your like arm and stuff like that mm-hmm. um me personally how do I feel about it I, yeah, I really liked it also because I, or I fuck up a lot with these movies, right? Is because my dad watched so much stuff when I was growing up. Uh-huh. I saw the sequels nine times out of 10 of all <laughs> these fucking movies. So I think the first one of these I saw, bro, was uh, Hellraiser 4. It's called Hellraiser Inferno. Uh-huh. Nothing like this movie at all. It's literally, now that's a book definition of a crime drama with like the supernatural thrown in the background of it. And uh, Pinhead's in that movie in like the last five minutes or some shit. But that's like my introduction. So I always kind of like in my head, I'm just like, I mesh them all together. I like about these older movies. It's not like, you know, in like the black and white era, but still the older movies are so much more grounded even if they have this crazy supernatural element, they are more likely to focus on like, like this movie does like focuses like this movie. If it didn't have the supernatural element and it could have been like a, you know, like a lifetime movie, like of like a weird, like relationship where someone's brother is trying to get with his current spouse and is in the picture. And then there's also a weird rift between a stepmom and a, daughter who's not them so it's like very much like has like the normal familial elements in the movie but also layers that on top of the supernatural grotesque horror movie so it's just i like i just really love movies that give you a little bit of everything and are that don't take away from the horror at all i feel like right now a lot of more modern movies just want to throw constant horror and shock and not really have build that kind of familial elements that made me love this movie well yeah like you just said bro how it's so grounded like this could have easily been a lifetime movie and the xenobites could have been replaced with like drug dealers or even like had like frank like come back and like angels like were bringing him back so he had a second chance or something like that you know it could have been yeah, anything yeah. kind of that well it's funny that you mentioned that because the that's what the uh pinhead says that's some of the lines he has when the, the girl's like uh the daughter Christy? Kirsty, yeah. Kirsty. She's like, who are you? And he's like, we are demons to some, angels to others. Yeah. Fire, bro. 
He had some good lines in there. He's had some classics like uh, "We have such sights to show you" or some shit like that, ain't it? Yes, what's that side show? What does he say that they are? He said they're like masters of experience. Mm-hmm. Also, another great. He has a lot of great quotes in there. Where I think a lot of other like horror movies could have made him like overly scary, but in the not the notes I was reading on the the making of the movie, the director really wanted to make him seem like priest like like he was the head of a cult in a way mm-hmm. and i think it really came across where he was like revered what he did pinhead i'm talking about yeah. he revered the way he like had to go about taking people in and stuff like that it, he definitely treated it like a nine to five yeah it was it was a job for him it was definitely like he was wearing a tie under all the leather you know <laughs> bsm shit he clocked in so how did you think? What was your favorite Cenobite? My favorite Cenobite was the dude who just had like a straight up like leather like blouse on and like had like his like rolls hanging out and then had the sunglasses on. The chunky dude? <laughs> chunky dude. Bro, we were, we watched this this morning and uh, the whole time he's, the first time you see him, it's uncomfortable as fuck, like you said, <laughs> because all he's doing is licking his lips every time the camera goes on his face and you could hear it just. And it's just fucking cringy as shit because all this horrible stuff is happening. And you just see this big overweight dude with fucking shades on. Like, he looks like a swollen Morpheus. He's just, like, watching and enjoying it. Just licking his fucking lips, yo, like, <laughs> hardcore. I think his second favorite for me would probably be the the Chatterbox dude. Just called the Chatterer. The Chatterer? Bro, that's what my fridge sounds like. For real? Like, Have you heard my fridge? Like, no. when we're doing these, you never paid attention. I don't know where you hear in the fridge. You just hear that. <laughs> and then the weird, the, the weirdest part about him was that he just didn't have lips. So he's just all gum. Yeah, all gums. And he doesn't have a face. It's just all... Disturbing. It had kind of a lot of that where the monsters are kind of human-like, but you could tell there's no humanity in them at all. But maybe at one point they were humans. Also kind of gray area, but... Yeah, and also, I mean, you can kind of look at them and tell, like, maybe their form of torture has some type of um, correlation between what they were like, because... Well, we come to find out, because we just kind of get thrown and, like, see a flash of these characters, these mm-hmm. Cenobites. But as we learn later in the series, they all have histories, and there's a backstory for why each of them has whatever deformities they have. And they are kind of like clues when you look at them. Yeah, they're kind of, like, dressed in very distinct ways. Like, they're not just randomly thrown together. Yes. And I can't remember exactly what they are, but, I mean, that's the whole point of it. That's why they look the way they do. It's their form of punishment. It has something to do with their backstory. So, with this movie, is, like, in this series, is everything, like, that happens in the sequels, like, canon to this movie? Do you know how, like, kind of, like, I don't know if you've seen the the Matrix series. Uh-huh. So, like, the Matrix, like, you can kind of tell it was made to be a standalone movie. There was not really a whole universe in thought about because really like at the end of it neo kind of like wins and just like flies away and like it should be over yeah but, but then like, they kind of like made up the rest of it yeah, do you, yeah was this like that uh no the first two okay the first two were like uh 
connected. And then after that, it was kind of like, all right, we're just going to do all types of random shit. <laughs> Pinhead goes to space in one of them. He goes to space? Yes, sir. Like in a spacesuit or just? No, bro. He's not an astronaut. He's just in space, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I ask, bro. In a spacesuit? They put Jason in space eventually. I know. That was the first one I saw at the movies. Really? Yeah. I remember that came out when I was probably like 11 or 12, so it was just a little too much for me. You weren't even that old, man. 2001. Oh, shit. I was not that old. Nah, bro. I was nine. <laughs> <laughs> you just with your dad. He's just... Whatever. You scared? No, I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's uh, like, meanwhile, middle of the night, just like, I can't sleep. He's going to come out the closet and kill me. No, nah, I think I got my first fucking Woody during that one, because I saw my first pair of boobs on the big screen. <laughs> uh, but now, nah, so yeah. Um. Oh, fun fact. So, like I said, I listened to the audio book of this, right? Mm-hmm. And do you know in the book they described why Frank was able to come back a little better? Okay. So, in the book, uh, the scene where he gets uh, taken by the Cenobites, they show that it's a long part. Like, it, when I was listening to it, it was like a 10-minute thing. Oh, really? As opposed to in the movie, it's literally a flash and we see some hooks come and then we don't really understand specifically what happened. But in the book, they describe it as when they come to take him, uh, he just asks them flat out. They're like, you know, why'd you summon us? And he's like, pleasure. And um, in the book, it's revealed that they go, okay, well, here you go. And what they do is they turn up his senses times a million. So first he feels everything. He hears everything. He sees everything. Like he can see like the hairs on a fly and shit like that. Uh Uh-huh. And pretty much it starts to make him kind of go nutty because, you know, you get your senses turned up like that, right? You feel everything. You the hear 10% everything. of the brain thing we were talking about last week. Exactly. <laughs> but now, nah, so what our boy Frank does, right? Because since his sight is turned up, he goes blind like first. That's the first thing that happens. Uh-huh. He takes his dick out and he just starts jerking off. In the in the book? In the book. Oh, I'm glad they cut that. So he's all like, I can't see. Ah, and he's just beating <laughs> off. And he finishes. And he shoots a load on the floor. And so then all the torture shit happens. But apparently that load he shot on the floor is like his lifeline to the fucking world. What? And the blood gets on his fucking jizz when the husband walks in the room holding the blood. And that's the that's the loophole he uses to come back. I feel like I'm glad they cut that. Yeah. They didn't need to be explained. Sometimes you just don't explain it and it's better. I know. I just thought that was a, that was a fun little, like, did you know? Did you know that he actually spawned himself with semen? <laughs> Craziest thing. Such a random thing, bro. But I love that little, like, tidbit. Like, he... Is he his own daddy? Pretty much, bro. So when he says, come to daddy... He's talking about himself. Whoa. But now, what'd you think of the uh, the effects of uh, the part where he gets brought back to life, bro? That shit was wild. Dude, that was cool. That seemed like it was like a bitch and a half to put together. That seemed like it looked to me like it was stop motion, stop motion, and shot in reverse. Yeah, so they just like kind of like decrepited this like stop motion thing and did a lot of melting too, and then just reversed, reversed it. it. Yeah, it looked really good. I loved how it looked. I thought it was crazy because you see his arms come out first, and how about when his fucking brain comes out and it turns out you're looking at his spine, oh, and the spine crazy. like connects to the brain. And it's just a brain on a fucking skeleton. So I I read that they made this 
scene first, like the first go around, and then they had to reshoot it because the first time they did it, they didn't really have any budget or anything to it. So they filmed it, showed the movie to First Line Cinema, the producers of it, and then they gave them a whole new budget just to fil- refilm that scene because of how bad it was. So mm. it seems like it was awesome. It was dope, bro. I loved how all the effects and stuff turned out. And something with the practical effects where it's not just like complete like CGI, like even if it doesn't look necessarily how you think an arm looked, like it looks a lot gnarlier and creepier. Yeah. The the initial like little figure that comes out definitely does look a little off, but I mean like it's kind of one of them things like is what do you expect? That's that I think the one of the reasons it is because that like silicone or whatever kind of like, weird like shit they're using, mm-hmm. it has a different shine to it than like CGI does. CGI like doesn't like shine the way that like that slimy, gross like brain matter, fake matter looks, mm-hmm. and it just wouldn't be the same with his CGI. Well, no, the CGI looks cartoony. Yeah, especially back then. Like especially back then. Well, actually, we got perfect examples of that at the end when she's like shooting the Cenobites with the fucking uh, puzzle box. Yeah. The Last Dragon. You ever seen that movie? <laughs> no. There's this old like uh, movie called The Last Dragon. It's about uh, like African American community and like Bruce Lee and kung fu and shit in New York in the 80s. No, for real. And uh, yeah, and there's this the the whole fight scene with them. It's like that like lightning effect or whatever they were using. Yeah, that's the entire fucking movie at the end. It turns into like Street Fighter where they're doing like <laughs> harukens at each other and shit. <laughs> and that's like, it. Looks just like that. But... Shooting waves at each other. Recommended. Recommended. Uh, but yeah, so... Alright, so we're talking a lot about the effects. What did you think about the actors and the acting and stuff? Dude, I actually really thought it was, like, good. So this movie's made on a million dollar budget, so you're not going to get stars, obviously. You're not going to get anybody known. But the people that were in it, which was a huge... It's like a super, super, super small cast, so... I made a comment immediately to Lydia when we were watching this, and I was like, hey, like they only build like five people on here. So the only real characters that there are in the movie are Larry, Frank, Julia, who's the wife, and Kirsty, And then her boyfriend's an auxiliary character. And there's like a homeless guy who's like in it for a little bit, but he doesn't really have any words. Mm-hmm. So like, those are the, literally the only people in the movie, except for like a few scenes here and there. But I thought the main cast was very well done. I was telling... My girlfriend is also. I was like, it's weird because, like, I think British movies kind of have this. So, like, you know, have you seen, like, Love Actually in movies like that? I've heard of it. I've never so, seen like, it. So, like, it's kind of a roundabout way of saying, like, the people in the movie aren't, like, super, like, attractive. They just seem like normal, everyday people. Where a lot of times with American movies, especially newer American movies, everybody's, like, very, very attractive, very over-sexualized. And these people weren't that at all. Exactly. And that was my problem. <laughs> that was your problem? Listen, in the book, bro, Julia is described as Pamela Anderson, bro. For real? Not really. But that's like, I feel the characteristic she has. She's this like desired thing that everybody wants to bang and touch. So she's just like a very, very hot person. Yes. Like hot girl. Hot Unnaturally lady. attractive. I, I th- honestly think though it works better. And kind of says a little bit more, like, about, like, society when it's this Julia who is not, like, she is a she's, I mean, woman, yeah, obviously. obviously, she's attractive, but she's aged a little bit. Yeah, she's a little older. She's not, like, she doesn't look like, you know, like a, like a model or anything by any means, like, by, like, movie standards. 
But like, I think it works better where she was like this more grounded, conservative dressing lady who kind of is pulled away by Frank and his desire for like pleasure and sexuality, and that like really almost like morphs her into a different person mm-hmm. instead of her being this overly sexualized woman in the movie. Well, in the movie, she's depicted pretty much. Well, in the book, more so, like, Cruella DeVille, bro. Okay. She's this very antagonistic figure with everybody. She has very negative thoughts about everyone. So what Frank represents is the polar opposite to her, where he's not intimidated by her. She actually feels submissive to him, which in her reality is rare. That could have been fleshed out more in the movie, because I kind of got that, but not too much. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, they kind of dropped the ball with Julia slightly, I feel. Because... Um, I don't know if we should get, let's get into the, the scene where the, it's, it's the montage scene where it is at the same time. It's what early in the movie when the movers are there Uh huh. and Julia is upstairs looking at pictures that Frank left behind when they think he's gone. <laughs> and at the same time, Larry is downstairs with the movers trying to get a bed upstairs, which uh huh. side note. If you're trying to do this like a struggling furniture move, beds are the easiest fucking thing to move in the world. Like, have you ever had struggle with the bed? No, usually lift those alone most of the time. They're not very heavy, anything like that. So, so that was one of my pet peeves. I'm like, give them like a bookshelf or something. Bro, did you see them laying on it together? It was barely bigger than a twin size bed. It wasn't that big, dude. No. It would have been easy to move. So this scene, and at the same time, Kirsty, Kirsta? Kirsty, I think. Kirsty or Christy, one of the two, bro. It doesn't matter. Kirsty, let's call her Kirsty. So Kirsty is at the same time in the house and going to get a towel because you washed your hands or something because she just burst the pipe in the downstairs room. <laughs> so we get these simultaneous things happen, and Julia is having flashbacks to apparently a few days before she got married. Frank shows up at their house, her and Larry's house, and he asks to come in. He's all wet. He asked for a towel simultaneously in the present day. Kirstie asked for a towel. Um, it shows this uncomfortable kind of maybe possibly rape scene, maybe consensual sex, but it's consensual at the end. It is a very gray area sex scene that happens like in the middle of this. And this whole thing, like it doesn't really make sense without that backstory that you just provided of, her like how she feels like she relates to frank but in the movie it just seems like me and maybe it's just because we're watching yeah. the 2021 lens but me and my girlfriend are like whoa like what this scene is uncomfortable and kind of scary at the same time yeah because um in the book it's flat out said like oh we've, they've only banged that one time uh-huh. whereas even my girl was saying when we were watching it like oh is this something that they've been doing is this like a relationship they've had behind, you know, her husband's back? And that is kind of what it could seem like because of the way she feels, right? Yeah. Like, she's immediately, like, obsessed with dude. Hey, sometimes sometimes a girl's all in after. After she gets a taste of that Slim Jim. <laughs> and so, sometimes, you know, like, some people that. are just like, relationships are uneven. And some people think they're more in the relationship than other people. And I can imagine this cheating wife might think that she was like, hey, this this is the guy I'm going to leave my husband for. And he's just like, you're just another lady. A little bit of that dank Frank. A little, little Frank. Come to daddy. Come to daddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So nah. it was just a very uncomfortable scene. Was his voice dubbed? I feel like it was dubbed. I almost feel like it had to have been fucking dubbed. Well, well, how did they do his... Was he a person under prosthetic makeup? I don't know that, actually. I would assume it was, because I think they'd have to credit like a whole other act. I don't know. The guy looked smaller. Because it had to be somebody skinny as shit to wear that those prosthetics, right? Yeah, because they had to been under all of that stuff. Or maybe they just made him look small with the camera angles. Who knows? Because the guy... I don't know. I couldn't say for sure. Because in all the notes I was looking at in the... Of the movie, it was talking about the prosthetics for the Cenobites, but I didn't see anything about the prosthetics for Frank. Mm-mm. No, but uh, I didn't pay attention if they credited somebody else for that. I mean, for sure, the part where he's uh, first brought back and he's like crawling on the floor and it looks like a fucking child crawling. Yeah, that's for sure. Somebody else, bro. <laughs> it can't be him. He's too big for that. Yeah, because yeah, when they bring him back, it looks like a little boy crawling. And that's actually that was actually terrifying imagery, bro. It was. It was creepy. Whenever like, what the fuck is that? When they did the wide shots of like him crawling towards the body and shit, man. There's some really good like kind of like off like side of the camera like movements that are like awesome. Like one of the ones is in the scene where um, where uh, Larry is watching TV and he hears something upstairs. And in that whole like scene, there's a part where he's walking into the bedroom with Julia, and we don't know where Frank is, and you just see someone like walk across the left corner of the screen, like completely, just like you know, like you don't even think that Frank's gonna be in the room, but you just see like two legs walk across. He's like, oh shit, yeah, he's in the room. There's scenes like that when uh, Julia goes into the attic, also where she'll like walk past somewhere, and you can see uh, Frank like standing in a corner behind her. And you just, they don't, the can't, the movie doesn't make any note of it. It's just something you catch. You just see her walking by. Yeah, it has a lot of the really good parts like that. Uh, can I ask you a question, Chris? Um, Do you feel bad for Julia? No. Not at all. Not at all? The whole Not arc? at all, bro. The whole arc. <laughs> Me neither. I just make sure. Horrible person, bro. Horrible. Like, one of the, you, like, know she's horrible because, like, one of the first times she, like, talks to Christy, and Christy, like, obviously seems, like, to hate her because, like, when you're mad, like, it's just, like, not a good situation. Like, when, like, you don't get along with the stepmom, probably. And, like, she goes in there and she asks her, like, hey, how have you been? Or something like that. And she's, like, ignores her. Yeah. It's like, whoa. Okay, so this will be a fun game. So let's talk about their arcs individually. Because you mentioned that this movie only has, like, three characters. Right? Yeah. So Julia, while we're there. So her arc is that she's had this affair with uh, her husband's brother, like, right before their wedding. Yeah, days before. Days before. Uh, then apparently they move into this house. Her husband bleeds on the floor of the attic Mm -hmm. and summons her, that brother from the, from the hellverse. It's called that hellverse. I like it. And, um, Frank, you know, Frank tells her, you know, as he's this like gooey, bloody thing, he's like, Hey, I need you to bring me more blood. And from that's all he really says. He doesn't directly go bring guys up to this attic under the lure of sex so I could eat them. <laughs> he does not give that much direction at all. She, no, no, no. Took- she just kind of assumes she assumes a lot of shit. And to make it worse, bro, in the book, it's even less. In the book, he literally just shows up and like reaches towards her as like an apparition and goes blood. <laughs> and then he vanishes, bro. And she puts everything together from that. She Jeez. brings the dude from a bar to the fucking attic. Yeah, she could have done like a lot of death, different stuff. And that's that's the move. 
She could have, like, you know, we watched that movie Let Me In, like, just harvest, harvested a little bit of blood from somewhere else, brought it in. Brought fucking animal then? Any kind of blood. Like, people in movies never try animal blood first. They're like, hey, I'm going to kill people. Yeah, it's a big <laughs> jump. So, she brings the first dude. And also, funny note, I noticed every guy she brought was a white guy with a receding hairline. I thought it was interesting. It's a good touch. That's, what, that's who Julia is. He, that's an easy target for Julia in the, exactly. the bar. Just like some dude just on a business trip. Like, hey, what's up, man? You come home with me? So well. Could you tell that in the first uh, one she brought, there was hesitation on her part? They really try. Uh, so I like talked about this a lot with Lydia. So at the very first person she brings home, she has hesitations. You can tell she's scared. But also what they do with the first guy that she kills to kind of make it easier is he gets, like, super aggressive with her. That's what makes it flip. Yeah, so it kind of flips it where you don't... It kind of lessens the... Like, you don't think of Julia as purely evil because she, like, decides to kill this person who is, like, very clearly probably going to rape her if she doesn't, like, comply to have sex with him. Mm -hmm. Now that they're in the house, you're like, okay, like, this makes sense. He deserves to die. But... Yeah, that's just like how they kind of ease you into it. It's awesome. Like I thought it was awesome filmmaking. How they did yeah, it. because at first the guys are all like, I'm nervous. You're so beautiful. I feel like you've known you forever. And us as the audience, we're with Julia kind of like, oh, this is going to be kind of fucked up. It's like, uh-huh. This guy seems sweet. And then within like just a flip of the hat, you're getting your fucking cold feet on me now, you bitch. Yeah, it just turns on her immediately. And then she, you can just see like the, the look in her eye go upstairs <laughs> and it's kind of like all right man you, you're kind of an asshole yeah and it makes the whole like you still kind of think julia is redeemable at that point yeah well that's the whole thing like um in action movies where the main not the main but the the minions of the villain they're always wearing masks or they have some type of face coverings on uh-huh. right it's so you don't feel bad about our hero fucking killing these guys they're all <laughs> faceless that's the whole point of that yeah you're not worried, like, oh, dude, this guy's probably got a family and shit. No, he's just faceless fucking guy. Like, he has no, like, when Batman's just, like, beating the hell out of some, like, like homeless dude in, this, in like, a fucking... Just like, some guy who just got fired from his job and happened to get a job for Two-Face or some shit. Yeah, he's just trying to make a dollar, too, and Batman just beats him <laughs> to, like, a, a literal pole. Just, just beats the shit out of him, bro. <laughs> just, like, throws him, like, off a building, but catches him just so he doesn't kill him. Pretty much. But, nah, so that's that whole concept. Um, so she does this, she uses a hammer in, um, the book, she uses a knife. Okay. The hammer though, bro, that's aggressive. It's brutal. Then he like breaks his like jaw when he hits the ground too. Mm-hmm. His like, teeth are like falling out of his mouth. Yeah. The hammer would be rough. Cause like, think about it. Like when someone hits, like if someone hits you with a hammer, like in the head, like you're going to be like cognizant of the rest of the blows coming to you. Like, it doesn't just end when you get hit with the hammer. Like, you can't defend yourself after you hit the hammer in the head. It's over. Yeah. But it's not over, over yet. It's definitely not turning out the lights right away. No, the lights are still on, and you just have to be like, yo, what did I do? Uh, what choices did I make that led me to this? Now, listen. Like you just said, though, some of these guys, bro, you go, you meet a woman at a bar, right? Uh-huh. She's like, hey, come back to my place. Immediate red flag. I mean, not a red flag. Not really? A big-ass house. The, w- the house is size is what would be like, this is weird. Let's go to the top floor of the house. 
to this attic with nothing in it. Hey, let's walk by all these pictures of you and your family and just like walk by what's obviously a bedroom. Hey, another room that like looks kind of like people live here. Like it's not just a one person house. So you got to be like thinking like, hey, like you have to be down with like, hey, like she probably married. It's the middle of the day. Like it's going to happen though. So, and you know, some people don't care. She's dressed like she's going to a funeral every time with shades. Such a weird like attire that she's wearing. All Bro, the eighties look really threw me off. I think it was the British eighties look too, which is extra like, weird. The poofy hair. Yeah, a lot of that just like was different. Mm. Maybe that's what it didn't do it for. The hair really fucked it up for me. <laughs> it made her not attractive because she's like a pretty good woman, but like it's like not like they didn't like overdo her. They didn't make her like more attractive than she was. Yeah. I don't know. Just what I envisioned, bro, was different. But so she does this stuff for Frank, right? Uh huh. And um, she ends up bringing him all the way back, right? Pretty much. He's like. We never see him actually come back in full form because what they end up doing, don't they? Uh, they feed Larry to him, right? But we don't see that. We don't see it actually happen, which also was kind of like a weird continuity thing for me where I was like, everything else regenerates, but for skin, you need to steal it from somebody else. And also, how did you do that? That's a good sewing yeah, job, Yeah, because why does he have, he has supernatural abilities that they don't discuss really. And yeah. we don't learn the rules for. Which I think is good. We should just know that he's just like a corpse coming back. That's like makes the most sense. And like you don't really have to know too much about it until he takes the skin. And then it kind of makes it all kind of like. Yeah, when he took somebody else's face, when he would dig his fingers into people and he was like absorbing motherfuckers. Yeah, it made sense like for him just to absorb the blood, give him more life. But I thought that would give him some skin. It gave him organs. Not skin though. Skin is an organ. Come on, writers, directors. And so Julia's whole thing, doesn't it end with she gets betrayed by Frank, right? Yeah. Hence the question, do you feel bad for Julia? Not at all. <laughs> so Julia, after finally, Kirstie finally comes to the house on her dad's, like, her dad asked her to come to the house to maybe see Julia because Julia and him are having a hard time and just kind of to talk so she can have a friend because obviously Julia has no friends because she's a terrible person mm -hmm. so she comes to the house and she catches her you know in the middle of luring somebody up to the attic but at the time Kirstie doesn't know that there's a fucking zombie upstairs which you know is reasonable not to assume that yeah <laughs> and so he, she comes in the house and no this that's later that that happens no, it's that not happened. when she's betrayed, but this happens. And so she runs away, passes out, ends up in a hospital, which is a whole another scene. This is kind of this kind is of Jewel, this is Kirstie's arc, bro. Yeah. We have Kirstie will have her own arc here in a second. Okay. But you let's okay, so we're let's catch Kirstie up and, and Larry up. So Kirstie, right? Kirstie it doesn't really she takes a while to become like the central figure in this movie. Because it follows Julia for about the first hour, right? Yeah, very heavily follows Julia, and we're in her thoughts. Or hell, more like the first hour and 20 minutes. Because really, Jul I mean, Kirstie doesn't get, like, a significant part until, like, the last 20 minutes, I feel. I mean, we're kind of lightly touching on her throughout. Yeah, we're kind of visiting, checking up on her. But she doesn't really become the main character until the last... It's a really short movie. It's only an hour and a half. So we get the last, like, 40 minutes of mostly Kirstie. 
Barely. Because remember, like like you said, once she discovers that Julia's bringing these women to the house, because Larry asked her to go talk to her, because so, she's been acting funky. Yeah, I guess so, because that, that dinner scene's kind of when she kind of takes over. Yeah. Okay. And um, so Kirsty, you know, discovers a dude walking into the house with Julia, and she immediately goes fucking Rambo. She's going to confront it. She wants all the, uh, the fuck is it? She wants all the... The smoke? All the smoke, yes. All the smoke. Dude. All the smoke, sir. That was a bold move. I feel like that's enough evidence, but hey, dad, some dude was coming in the house during the day. Looks sexual. Like, you don't got to, like, what is going on here? You don't got a camera. Like, she didn't have a camera or anything. She was just there She was just going to bust in, bro, and, like, just catch this dude just piping fucking julie <laughs> she wanted to see it like, i don't know why she wanted like that was a weird choice for her like that was a very aggressive move <laughs> so she goes upstairs and literally catches no she just walks up to a corpse because remember the attic door opens and the body falls out i thought that but... she saw him like sucking the blood out no the corpse tips over and falls and she just stands there and screams and then frank comes out behind like all bloody and shit uh-huh. and he tries to like grab her and then they end up in the attic together oh yeah and then she like kicks him in his nuts like repeatedly she puts him like she literally hits him like in the rib but like through the rib cage and like punches him like in the heart for real just like it's a it's a brutal little yeah shot. yeah she punches through his like actual fucking <laughs> torso it looked like that hurt like i was like oh i know he's a zombie but that, that hurt me and so, then she like grabs the box because this whole time the box has been upstairs yes and she realizes that Frank is very much like, hey, that's my box. Like, he, he's very concerned of the box. It's like me, whenever I bring my sunglasses anywhere and put them down, I'm like, hey, like, I need to keep bringing these home. These are my favorite things ever. Exactly. He loves the box. So she notices that. And she does, like, a fucking, like, G-ass move right here. Like, she, like, instead of being like, I'm just going to run away with it, she she just, like, kapoots it out the window. Just like... <laughs> She's oh that was savage as hell, bro. <laughs> she just sidearms it. She gives it a little Phil Rivers, like not even like a full like throw. It was like a little. Just... She practically like dropped it, bro, and just kicked it. Yeah, I was just like, Damn, fuck your box, you bro. And he got pissed, it, but it, she got away really quickly. It was very smart. He got into the street, got away, got near the public. Very, very savvy horror movie. Yeah, because even when she uh, she passes out in public and she gets sent to a hospital, uh-huh. and at the hospital she has the. Uh, the smarts to know not to mention what she's seen. Yeah. Because she knows that if she's in the hospital and she starts spouting out crazy shit, they're not going to let her go. Especially in the eighties. In the eighties are like, okay, um, well we're going to just put this needle in your brain and see if it fixes you. Especially women. They're like, Oh, these crazy women. We're just going to lithium to fucking death. (laughs) For real. Bad time to be mentally ill. So you just, she kept it to herself. Exactly. Which was the player move. And so she gets locked in the hospital, though. Uh-huh. And that's, she's bored and she has the puzzle box because they bring her the box. They're like, you had this death grip on it. We're trying to wonder if you knew what it was. So they just happen to set it down right next to her. So while she's locked in this room, she's like, you know what? I'm bored as hell. Let me see what the hell's going on with this little box. And I think, uh, like, she's also trying to get out so she can kind of warn her dad that there's a zombie in the attic. Yeah. Worth, worth telling somebody. It's, you know, worth note. <laughs> it's noteworthy so she opens the box and uh you know i told uh denise that the vibes i got from this movie was i don't know if you felt it too uh beetlejuice tim burton 
Yeah, very much like like you know maybe it's that eighties thing. Like whenever the something whenever something would happen with the other world or something, the floorboards start moving, walls open up and shit. The fog, the blue lights, the fog for sure. The fog is like always there, like and it just like signifies creepy stuff to happen. Very reminiscent of that, and that's kind of what happens in the hospital room. Also, the wall opens up. I feel like you kind of need that with the summoning scene, though. You can't conjure up a new like universe without like something shaking, you know. Back then, I feel like nowadays it's very subtle. I don't know. I feel like something always, but now we can like just show like a whole. But like if they just opened like the wall up and like didn't have like cool effects, you'd be like, oh, why the wall open? That's true. They need like you need all that kind of like extra little jazz and. The score did a really... I really liked the score to this. The score was very big. Did was, you think... Did you notice that? Yeah, it was like definitely like a full house orchestra band. Like, it was like... It was very grand, and it made it very apparent that this was like a big deal. Kind of a side note, there was supposed to be like this like industrial band. Like, that was supposed to do the score. Oh, that would have fucked everything up, bro. I think it would have <laughs> fucked it up, too, because I like that the score was like kind of <laughs> classical. But it was this band called Coil from the like 80s. I wish I could hear that. I was listening to some of it, just like, and it was like, it was just changed the whole tone. It was a little too, like, it was not good. What was it? Just like grunge Nirvana or some shit? Not Punk quite. Rock? It was more like horroristic, but like also like kind of a little darker grungy. It was like, it was weird, dude. It was, it was industrial rock. It was like. I'm going to listen to it. You should. It was, it's, cool. it's strange. That would have definitely, because like I said, the whole, the, uh, the fucking like orchestra like feel made it feel grand and really big and it fit the Cenobites theme you know like you said even Pinhead was kind of like this almost religious like figure yeah so that just fit the narrative perfectly I feel like having like a rock band record on it would have been like that would have made it stupid cheesy bro I think so it would have made like Pinhead seem like a lot more like a clown than than this did yeah that's a cool fun fact, though. I want to guess that. Yeah, I was reading through all those. I thought I figured it'd be like some helpful to read the, the movie trivia. But what were we talking about? We were talking about the, the summoning in the the hospital. Movie. Yeah, and uh, so Christy opens the door, and it looks like uh, Tales from the Crypt, bro. Some awful like doorway, right? And what does she do, man? She walks in the fucking door, and decides to explore. Did you have a problem with her walking through the door, like you? Yeah. Why would you walk through the door? Okay. I, I kind of... So usually I'm the person who's like, why in the hell are you getting closer to the evil stuff? But in this in this instance, and in like a supernatural thing where you're playing with the box and this thing opens into alternate dimension, I feel like I'm like, I guess I'm the chosen one. I got to do this. Listen, man. You can be the chosen one. I'm going to be the one who waits outside the door one. <laughs> I'm not walking through the fucking doorway, bro. I'm not trying to fight a serial killer. I'm not trying to, like, get myself involved with the ghost. But if they open a portal and you don't, like, walk through it, I'd always be, like, my whole life, like, man, what was in that portal? Listen, a portal right now could open right here at this wall that I'm pointing at. And there could just be, like, a staircase that leads down to a goddamn oasis with 30 extremely hot naked chicks doing limbo. <laughs> I would keep my ass in this seat. It don't even need to be that for me to go in the portal. I'm gonna go in the portal. <laughs> be a lot Bro, less. I highly doubt it's gonna be a portal to Hogwarts, dog. It it's like gonna a, be a, a portal to somewhere terrible. It could be a six piece, <laughs> six piece chicken nuggets on the other side. 
I'm going in. It's worth it to me. I read too much Lovecraft to fucking do that. <laughs> Lovecraft? The... That's all Lovecraft talks about is like alternate dimensions and doorways to like horrible places. That's insane. Lovecraft? Have you seen Lovecraft Country? No, everybody keeps telling me it's fire. Yeah, they just talk shit on like the actual, the, the historical figure of Lovecraft. What about? He was like incredibly racist. Oh, I could imagine. <laughs> well, let be fair, bro. Everybody was probably racist. No, I think it was like, like some people were just like lived in the times of racist, and some people like pushed the agenda of like the master race. And I think he was the latter. Well, I'm pretty sure fucking George Washington probably did the same thing, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, for sure. Like I said, I think all like <laughs> the public figures, bro. Nah, but so Christy walks through the portal like Nick would have, and uh, she sees. Now, they don't give names of these creatures, but in the book and in the Wikipedias and all that stuff, they do. The creature's called the Engineer. That's what it's called? The Engineer. Okay. Weird. And uh, what the Engineer is supposed to do is it's kind of like, it's the one who creates Cenobites and stuff. So he, like, spawns them? Yeah, like, it kind of figures out what your specific torture is going to be, which is why, like, the the woman Cenobite had like the neck thing missing and stuff. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's almost like their their illustrator, their guy who comes up with concept designs because he had like little hands and shit. Remember, he didn't seem too intelligent. Also, it was probably one of the worst like effects sequences of the movie. Did you see the uh, the dolly like pushing it? Yeah, you can see the wheels of the dolly, and you can see the dudes. You can see the guy it, behind yeah. it pushing it. Yeah. <laughs> Very cheaply done. It's uh, It was creepy imagery, though. Yeah, it was. It was cool. Because it's like, hangs from the ceiling. Its tail is where the top of it should be. It's like this seven-foot thing, probably, right? It's pretty big. Very, very... He didn't really utilize the giant, like, stinger he had. We'll talk about that. There's a really dumb part at the end that I loved. <laughs> that I thought was hilarious. But anyways, so Christy walks like a football field into this portal, and she gets chased a football field back to that fucking doorway. Yeah, long run. A lot a of- very long run. We got a lot of shots of like the guys pushing the fucking uh, engineer. <laughs> I feel like they should have just cut down a few of the shots of like them, because you could see the dude just like clearly like some guy like, just dressed in all black, just like. If they had the effects to like you know cg out the fucking guys it was a cool shot bro like the wide angle of the thing moving was terrifying and it was just kind of like back and forth leaning like so like you can see like Like when it's like legs actually on the wall Uh and it's like this upside down slug thing like with the hands like it was cool it was creepy it was different so after that what the hell does she do after that oh because that's when she plays with the box again right yes and uh, that's when the actual Cenobites come out. Uh-huh. And uh, that's where Pinhead shouts out all of his fucking dope-ass one-liners. Just gets like three or four off in like a couple minutes. It's just, he really heats Bangers, bro. For, for Pinhead. He's out there just spitting hot fire like Dylon. Pretty much, dude. He's fucking, you know, that's where she's like, what are you guys? And he's like, angels to some, demons to others. And then, like, the, the, what's it called, of experience? The Masters of exper- Experience? The Masters of Experience. I was like, oh, okay. That sounds, that's a cool band name, too. He's like, oh, the sights we will show you. <laughs> Damn, bro. And this is where Kirstie, like, 
decides to tell them about Frank and how Frank, because I think she overheard Frank mention briefly that Frank had escaped the Cenobites. I don't know how she knew that. I don't even think so. You don't think so? You think it was just a... I think she just knows that Frank had the box. Yeah. So from that connection, she goes, hey, you guys know Frank? <laughs> you guys know Frank? You guys know Frank? Because I know Frank. Frank's the only zombie I know. Pretty much. And th- that connection just happens to be like, Cenobites, pretty much she offers a trade with them. She's yeah, like, if I can call. give you him, then can we, whatever. Do you ever like, random, but do you ever like meet like white people and they're like, hey, like, like, oh, my name's Chris, like, obviously Latino. And like, hey, I know Mexican people. You know this Mexican person? And you're uh, like, yeah. oh, no, I don't. But sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, that's my cousin. Or like, uh, <laughs> what you been call it? You work at a McDonald's, and they're like, hey, I got a cousin that works at a McDonald's, you know, 300 miles away. Do you know him? He's like, no, I don't. No, I don't. It's a big company. There's a lot, a lot of us here, bud. Yeah, that's more or less how it feels, right? But when they when you do know them, you're just like, "Fuck, I do." Yes, it's my cousin. But he's like, he's like, "Damn it!" Like I'm gonna live here, living up to stereotypes. Shit. Oh, sorry, inside that, but the Cenobites. Cenobites. So she works out with them a deal to give up Frank, pretty much. Snitch, but also a good call. Frank's a zombie. Very good call. <laughs> Don't snitch is not apply to zombies. So she goes back to the house. Mm-hmm. And um, she gets there, and we see Larry and Julia together, correct? Yes. Now, we know that it's not actually Larry. Yes, we do. It's Frank, who has taken the face of Larry. Should we catch up Larry's arc now? Poor bastard. Larry really has a boring-ass arc. Larry's just pretty much... Listen, listen. I made this connection, right? Have you seen those, like, Facebook videos where it's like, um... You should have gone with the nice guy. Those, like, <laughs> incel videos? The incels, yeah. Larry's pretty much an incel, bro. Larry really is. Larry's weak, dude. Larry... Like, listen, Julia, you could have had this guy. He had a 9 to 5. He was a good man. Instead, you had to choose the bad boy. It's just like, okay, you uninteresting little dude who's on his fucking computer all day. Like, nah, like. Yeah, but that's what I felt like the message could have been. Like, they would have been like, see what happens, Julia, because you didn't go with the nice guy. <laughs> this is the Excel <laughs> movies that you're saying? Yeah, bro. Larry is pretty much the nice guy. But Larry has some personality to him. He's over here having parties. People like, people seem to like him. Uh-huh. He seems like a decent dude. He's not like, he's not an incel. I know, but that's just what I incel felt vibes. like. Is incel vibes. You can use it, you can, as an incel, use this to your advantage. Well, actually, no, no. It's the the incels, when they make their videos, when they characterize the women with all these horrible characteristics, <laughs> is what Julia has. Like, what are the redeemable qualities of Julia? That's, ooh. Yeah. Ooh, that's a big question. Not many. I guess, I don't know. No, 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 there's none. So back to Larry. Okay. Larry's fucking arc is boring. He really is just married to a horrible woman. Clearly, she runs things, starts real early in the movie. He's literally moving stuff, and they're like, hey, we're moving your furniture for you. Do you got some beer? And Julia's like, yeah, it's in the fridge. And Larry, the response is, well, I guess I'll get it then. And aren't the dudes, like, trying to holler at his woman? They're just, like, staring at her ass. And they're also, like... 
talking about his daughter too, and he's just talking like, about his daughter. Takes it, and then also uh, when he cuts his hand, it's a bitch move. He's oh my hand, I'm scared of blood. I can't. I can't. Say. I'm gonna faint. I'm gonna faint. <laughs> and also like the scene where like the, with the beer part, it's like the voice of like a defeated man where he's like, like any like if you like hear someone say like things like, in this tone and like in this phrase, use phrase like, well, I guess I'll just. That means you lost already. That's yeah. like that's like uh, just pouting, pouting about losing, and just knowing that you have to do some shit because someone told you to do it. Pretty much, just bitching out. Yeah, it is. It means you like gave up. And um, so I guess I mean, is that them their way of trying to justify what Julia does? I don't think so. I think it's just trying to show that she's just like immediately like evil. Or this is why. I kind of get it because they're like, all right, this is why you know she needed attention from somewhere else because she felt like. She just didn't respect Larry, pretty much. You know what we needed? What scene we needed? Hmm. We needed the scene of, like, their, like, lacklust, their, like, love life, like... Or he, like, fails to perform or some shit? Or he's just, like, literally, like, three-plump Larry, then it's over. Yeah. And then it's just, she's just, like, clearly not satisfied. We needed that. Yeah, because that's a big thing in the book, is she really liked... Because that's something, that's part of Frank's arc. Like, we were mentioning that he's the super perv. Because that's what the Polaroids represent, right? Yeah. And his little, like, he had some glass, some porcelain, like, sex figure. He had some, like, old school homemade porn. Yeah. Old school. Very old school. It's old school. He took a picture of himself, bonus, and random girl. Multiple. And there had to have been someone in there operating the camera, because I don't know how they did that back then. Exactly. Because that's a big point in the book, is that he's, like, explored all these, like, random different ways of pleasure. Which sounds very dark in the book. It does, but it also makes him seem like you get, you give, when you know that background of him, like it makes him seem more desirable to a, a woman that's stuck in a relationship with some dweeb. Yeah. And he's a dweeb, dude. Larry, like the way he watched boxing was like, yeah, yeah, punch him. Definitely very Carlton Banks, man. Very much so. Like you just don't. Believe this dude is gonna man up and man up situations. Only wears Christmas sweaters when it's not Christmas. If you like are in like a like a basketball game and it's like crunch time and like you know someone has to perform, he ain't gonna perform. No. And so we're talking about Larry, right? Yeah. And that's pretty much fucking it, bro. I mean, until he just like, oh, there's the scene where him and uh where it's storming, right? And he hears a noise upstairs and it's uh Frank like banging shit in the attic. Yeah, Frank's just being obnoxious at that scene. Like, he just, like, doesn't care that, like, Larry knows he's back. Yeah, and so Julia kind of, like, stops him from going upstairs by pretty much just throwing herself at him, right? Yeah. And uh, she's doing a very convincing job of it. Very She, like, starts making out with him and stuff, and they go to the bedroom, and um, they're just making out on the bed, and he's on top of her, so she's kind of got this view of the room while he's, like, just kissing all over and shit, right? Uh-huh. And she sees Frank step out of the closet, and he's still, like, covered in blood at this point, like, still a corpse. And he's got a knife. And he pulls out a rat. <laughs> and he cuts the dead rat in half. I thought that part was, like, one of the few, like, excessive parts of, like, why did you do that? And, listen, so you... I know you're attracted to Frank. I know he's a walking corpse. I know he's asking you to kill people for him. <laughs> I know he's really good at banging. 
But come the fuck on, bro. He's cutting a rat in half right in front of you while your husband's making out with you. There's something wrong with this fucking dude. And what are you doing? <laughs> As if all the other things didn't turn right. you off already. Like, okay, he's asking you to murder people. But this, you know, you guys are both selfish assholes. That makes sense. <laughs> the man's cutting a rat in half in front of you. Like, pretty much on your bed. Like, that shit, that, that rat blood don't come off easy. Exactly. Like, <laughs> am I wrong in, like, this thing i'm thinking of i feel like at that point like what what is a rat to like all the other atrocities that you've committed with this man and like all like this if you're gonna like him as a corpse like the rat's not gonna put you over the top if that's the first thing he leaves with that's like an automatic red flag but like this is like like it's it's already you're too far into really having complaints about what he's doing also this this scene makes me question Frank. I mean Larry. His is like he a good awareness, dude? bro. Not love awareness. His oh. like she was like cause she was like so Julia's like on like getting kissed up on by, by Larry. And she starts saying no. And she sees Frank and she's like literally hysterically, No. God no. No, stop it. Don't do it. For a good minute. And Larry doesn't know that Frank's in the room, so Yeah questioning larry's morals now <laughs> like hey. literally like like if like my guy like even one like oh god no i'm like what, what the fuck's wrong like oh, i'm sorry like what's up like what's going on like he's just like nope we're plowing through this like i'm gonna i'm not listening to these obvious signs that something's wrong listen man when you've been married for a long time, no, I'm fucking with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking with you guys. Oh man! All no, right, no, you, we no. we say no. They say no. You stop. You no, especially like in the, yeah, it was it was a lot. I was just like, what the hell, Larry? I thought you were a good guy. This damn incels, dude. I like the end of it though, where he's like, uh, I feel like the acting was very sus. <laughs> when he was like, I don't. What does he say? He's like, first you come on to me. Now you don't want me to touch you. See, that's another one of those those voice like. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I can't touch you now. It's just like taking like the hyperbole. He's just like a defeated man. He has some line. I can't remember what he says. I just don't know who you are or something like that. Something real cheesy that I can't think of what the fuck he said. But so that interaction happened. Do you think he's the worst of all the actors in the movie? Worst cast possibly. Larry. Yeah. Cause like, I think he should have been more. Cause if you like, all right, so this is kind of fucked up. So the guy who played Frank, relatively attractive man, correct? Yeah. Pretty, actually above average, which yeah. is, you know, fits that part. Yeah. Larry, he's not, he's not some busted fucking dude, but he's definitely just kind of like your generic older white guy. Khakis. Yes, khakis. Very much like <laughs> upper management, you know? Uh, it, middle, middle management. Middle you management. You don't have the command of room <clears throat> upper management needs. I feel like they should have made him a little bit younger, maybe kind of slightly more resembling Frank slightly, just so that their, like, personalities would have contrasted more as opposed to, like, well, clearly this is why she fucked with Frank over Larry because, I mean, he's the more attractive dude. I mean, yeah, it was obvious. Like, if you had the choice of brothers, it's Frank. Right. He's explored the deep realms of pleasure. <clears throat> like, you don't just pass that up. Yeah, but then again, like I said, I just feel like everybody was slightly aged a little bit in this movie. But I think back in the day, they just did that in general. Yeah, or they just didn't, like... I feel like now they'll just be like, here's a... This lady's supposed to be 35, and it's just, like, clearly, like, a 22-year-old, like... Yeah. She's, like, very beautiful girl. Like, she's... Like, she has these three kids. Like, those aren't her kids. There's no way. 
<laughs> you know, like, it's just like it, it is real. I like the realism of the casting still. Yeah, it was very true. Except uh, that's the thing with uh, like twenty something year olds in these movies, Kirsty. Mm-hmm. So she acted like an eighteen year old, but she looked like she was in her mid twenties. I think she was supposed to be like nineteen. <laughs> uh, she looked a little bit older than that to me. I think she's supposed to be really young because just how like did see and stuff she is, and when she's drinks, she's like she got really really drunk and like it's just like obvious like she like doesn't seem like she's like used to being like. A drunk person, you know. Mm-hmm. So like, I think they do that a lot with her. So, anyways, I'm Frank. Oh no, Larry's arc. It's pretty much all we need to know. We're just like telling telling you all the the really important deets that pretty much he's a bitch and everything around his life isn't really great because he's over here getting manipulated by Julia and his arc really doesn't have any more development until he comes back home. In between the time that Kirsty first comes to the house and finds out that Frank's a zombie upstairs, and when we see him the next time when he gets home, and Julia welcomes him in to the house, what does mm-hmm. she say to him then in that little exchange? I know she like asks him to come inside or something like that. Very pointed choice of words. I barely even remember that scene, bro. Yeah, she comes in and he's still. It's before he's killed by frank upstairs but i think she's like i need to show you something in the attic or something like that Mm -hmm. and he's just like okay and then we don't see him larry again as himself for the rest of the movie so when he does get taken over by frank i was he wearing his face or did he just take his whole body i think he took his whole skin his whole skin is that what that's implied because they do that but there's like blood around like just the face and the back of the hairline yeah it looked like a bad like sewing <sighs> job so like my question is like did he like piece on every little bit of skin did he like it looked legit like it didn't look like house of a thousand corpses like you're wearing a mask like it was legit like body swap it didn't look at all or did he like knew how like when you get a Halloween costume and like, it's like pretty much a onesie and there's like, you just step in through the back. Yeah. I'm thinking it was like that situation. Possibly. But (laughs) once again, that's the whole thing of like the ambiguity M ambiguity, ambiguity. Fuck you. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Ambiguity, ambiguity, ambiguity. Fuck that word. The un uh, ambiguity. Say it again. Ambiguity. Ambiguity. (laughs) Cut this cut. (laughs) <laughs> the not knowing of Frank's abilities. Which I, I do appreciate that movie's just like, hey, like I don't need to walk you through this and hold your hand. Like you, because you just figure it out. Most of the time, like that kind of shit, like it doesn't make sense either way, you know? Yeah, that would be that is true. There's always just little holes you could put poke in it, so it's easier just to be like, hey, we're not gonna spell it out for you and you can kind of guess what it is on your own. Mm-hmm. I guess that does work out. Like, it wasn't distracting. No, not at all. It wasn't like, oh, what happened? Like, it's it's clear what happened. <laughs> In some way, he morphed into his body. So, what did you think of... Uh, so, for me personally, bro, the, the main chick, Christy, in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Gorgeous woman. Yeah, she's very attractive. Very attractive. And she's, like, kind of plays the, like, innocence of the movie. Like, some movies, like, have, like, the, like, 
especially horror movies, they have like the more like the just like kind of a scale of morality for all characters, and every character kind of represents that like piece of like how people's personalities are. And she very much is the innocence and the the like childlike figure in the movie that is supposed to like kind of like counter just the like evil like sadistic Frank in a way. And I really just liked how she played that. She played it as, like, more of, like, a girlish figure, but still, like, becoming a woman and just, like, growing older and, like, getting, like, used to adulthood. And so it was kind of for her a coming of age in a way. She's just moving to New York and getting an apartment by herself for the first time. And this is, like, 80s New York. This ain't this is get stabbed in the subway in New York. It's different. Mm-hmm. So, like, she's kind of just, like, experiencing, like, the horrors of life for the first time. I think her she was more supposed to be contrasting Julia. You think so? Who represented like an older, more confident, more stern person. Okay, I can see that. And maybe and um I like that they made it swear that she was she does a flip. Like we've talked about this before, believability of a female character becoming stronger, right? Yeah. And they car they kind of start doing things more confidently or some shit. Uh-huh. And um, you know, similar to Jamie Lee Curtis, the Halloween movies, Sigourney Weaver and the Alien movies. I like Christy. I feel like she does a good job as, you know, a scream queen. Yeah, she's really good at like just like freaking out at like everything she sees. Exactly. And you know, the ending of it where so we talked about where she comes and she meets Frank, who is now wearing Larry's skin. Uh-huh. Um, at first, they try to just pass him off as Larry, right? We <laughs> killed Frank. He's dead up in the attic. And uh, it's all... Could you tell at that point that she was freaking out because of the deal that she made with the Cenobites? Yeah, she was scared. She's like, oh, shit, you killed Larry? Like, Larry's my ticket. Oh, yeah. So fun fact I forgot to mention. In the book, she isn't Larry's daughter. Really? Yeah, it's weird. Whose daughter is she? Nobody's, bro. She's just some young chick that's like a friend, I think. Glad that the daughter, because otherwise it doesn't make sense. Exactly. She just hangs out with this dude, bro. Oh, no, no wonder Julia left, because she's over here hanging out with 19-year-olds. Right. And she just, I think she admires Larry, low-key, in the book. Uh-huh. <clears throat> but they never flat out come out and say it. It's just kind of hinted at. Okay. So, in the book, when she discovers that, you know, she thinks Frank is dead. Uh-huh. And she knows that the Cenobites are coming for her. In the book, there's more, while she's, like, talking to, you know, air quotes, Larry and Julia, she's hearing the Cenobites, like, voices in her head, like, we're coming for you. You know, all this shit, all this foreshadowing. And uh, her thoughts are, I just need to get away from uh, Larry, because I don't want them to take him when they come for me and shit. Uh-huh. Okay, so she's so that's a whole another like, layer. <clears throat> So I was wondering if that was kind of like part of how she played that. Like when she looks afraid. I think it was. And she really wanted to find Larry too. So she like knew where he was. So she's like scared. And I think that kind of makes it a little more understandable for her to not realize that there's like that her dad like clearly has like like a seam like in his forehead that's like bulging because of like it was like not his him. Like it's clearly yeah. not him, dude. Like the whole uh, every other scene with Larry in it, he's like well put together. And this one, he's just like profusely sweating. Looks looks like Val Kilmer, like when he's about to die in uh, in Tombstone. You know, at the end of it, where, like the whole second half of the movie, he's just like a raging alcoholic. 
Never seen Tombstone. It is like ridiculous. Like he's just like looks disgusting for like an hour and a half of the movie. Bro, did you ever did you notice Frank looks like that the entire fucking movie? The dude just looks sweaty. Oh, he looks and gross. dirty, especially in the beginning when he's getting the box. <laughs> he's just like sitting there shirtless, like with the candles around. Mm-hmm. You can't have candles around and you not be just sweaty. Yeah, but no. Nah, so. But what gives it away, finally, that that's Frank and not Larry to her? He does the infamous line. Come to daddy. Come come to daddy. <laughs> he's just like, he's like <clears throat> regular Larry voice. He's like, you know, like we can have a big happy family. We're all going to get along and come to daddy. He's like, what? Right. He's going to throw that in there? So as soon as he says it, Julie knows, or uh, Christy knows, knows the deal. He, I think he like almost did it on purpose too. I don't think so. Cause like immediately, like Julia like jumps into action and grabs Kirsty and is like, "I got you." Well, yeah, but he even says, uh, "Cause uh, she scratches the shit out of his face," and he goes, "So much for the cat and mouse game." Yeah. Just, so he was actually gonna try and like play around with it for a while. I think. And what was like the like goal of that? Like, I think he legit wanted to, uh, I think he's so demented, bro, that he wanted to, like, at some point, he wanted to, like, rape Kirsty. I think. Oh, well, yeah. That under, was... like, the pretense that that's her dad. Oh, you think it's that deep? I think it's that dark, bro. Uh... Like, you, Matt, like, you don't, you understand, like, the level of Frank's perversion. Yeah, like, Frank's just, like, a legit, like. His, he's, he beat off, bro, while he was blind. <laughs> well, he was, like, surrounded by these Cenobites. <laughs> yes. So like yeah, that, I guess you don't really get that, but like in the like in the movie, like you definitely it's understood that Frank is he now has, wanting he's setting his sights on Christy. In he a wants her, way. yeah, yeah, and the, you knowing it's his niece, which is weird as shit. Oh yeah, that's not good. So he needed like an extra layer. That's why he pretended to be Frank. Oh, yeah, I think so. I believe that's what it was, bro. Uh, he wanted to do some like Pornhub like shit. <laughs> oh lord, Frank. But no, so I love also that uh, whenever the Cenobite, the thing Pinhead tells uh, Kirsty is um, make sure he names himself. That's the only way it will come for him, right? Yeah. So when they're in the attic, because, well, before that even, like you said, Julia grabs Kirsty after she scratches the shit out of uh, Frank. Yeah, and we realize he's Frank. Do you think he, uh, he stabbed her on purpose? Oh, yeah. He literally stabs because so Julia's holding Kirsty and he comes with a knife to them both and he turn in a moment Kirsty kind of turns to Julia and Julia gets stabbed as as uh, Frank is thrusting but it also immediately he's like no hard feelings babe it is not personal babe yeah and it's just like you meant to do that. You could have, you could have like stabbed it. her. Like he, like he could have pulled back on it. Like he, he put it in. Like it was, yeah. And then he started uh, dug his fingers into her neck, and he started to absorb her. Right? Yeah, he, he absorbed her as well. And she like immediately turns into like this little like squishy thing on the wall. It's that, that was a kind of gross, cool effect too. So, did you feel bad for Julia? No, I didn't. I just wanted to see if you did. No, I feel like, no, I feel no. like some people might. Nah. So Julia dies. There you go. Stabbed. And life force sucked out of her. Sucked out. She doesn't look nearly <laughs> as bad as some of those guys did. No, the guys looked worse. Probably because they got like bashed before. Like they got. Yeah, like, that's true. They got the skull. Out. So this all 
culminates in a face-off between Frank, who's wearing Larry's face, in the attic with Kirsty. Uh-huh. And um, he manages to, like, strong-arm her ass, right? To where she's, like, in a submissive position. And this is the part where I'm talking about, where she's like, you're not my dad, or some shit like that. My dad's dead. Uh-huh. And he's like, no, it is I, Frank. <laughs> I am Frank, 100% Frank, who is about to kill you. Also, if you didn't know, I am Frank. He's like, social security numbers, eight one four zero three. He's like, oh shit, like... I am 100% Frank. That's pretty much what he does. Yeah, he gives himself up. <clears throat> does he not say very, very clear his date, like, three different times? <laughs> he's like, your dad... He's like, your daddy's here. Frank is here. Frank, your dad's brother. But it just, like, <laughs> spells it out, dude. Pretty much. And so that's when uh, the Cenobites show up, right? No, just out of nowhere. Just... Clutch. With the swiftness, just in the room. Baller as hell. And um, don't like all of the uh, torture devices show up immediately. All the flesh is covered all over the walls and stuff again. Yeah, the room turns into the horror scene from the first from the first scene. And um, at first, Frank and uh, Kirsty are just allowed to kind of walk around. And Frank actually like chases Kirsty and he's about to stab her, right? Yeah, because he's like... Calls her a bitch, obviously, and then like attacks her. He's like, "You won't get away with this, bitch!" And then like immediately, some hooks come and just stop him in his tracks. Like they just start fly flying out of, out of nowhere and start just attaching to his flesh. Oh, they just tear like they stretch this dude out. There's a scene where they all more hooks come. <clears throat> they go all over his body, including like ten into his face that are pulling his cheeks apart. Uh-huh. Like legit, his face looks like a pancake. It looks bad. It looks like. Um... I forgot what I was going to compare it to. Go ahead. But then to show, like, Frank's depravity, right? Julia Uh takes one look at him as she's like, because Pinhead tells her, what does he say? He's like, leave now because you're not, he goes, pretty much he's like, we don't want you to see the dopeness we're about to do in this room. (laughs) He says, like, this is not for your eyes. He's like, you're not worthy of the dope shit we're about to do to this guy. (laughs) So she's like, all right, cool. And she turns around, takes one last look. And to show the depravity of Frank, as his face is stretched out like a goddamn pizza. That's how far the shit is spread out. He just starts sticking his tongue out, bro, and just licking and smiling <laughs> at her, right? Yeah. Just savage as fuck, bro. And then did you see the last, like, little shot we get of him? Like, as he just explodes into a hundred pieces from all the hooks fucking coming out? Well, we get the quote first, though. What's the quote? Where he's like, this part made me laugh. I thought it was a bad quote. He's just, like, all, like, hooked up and stuff, and he's like, Jesus wept. I don't know what that means. I remember that. I was like, I don't get what the fuck that means. I th- I didn't think it made sense in that part. No. Do you know where that's from, that part of it? The, like, So, okay, this is kind of like just me being a Catholic school person, so I know like all the Bible stories. So, there is a part of the gospel where Lazarus is like Jesus' friend and he dies. Mm-hmm. And it like is meant to represent like that Jesus felt like pain like humans. And so, like, it's kind of like people use try to use it in a really metal way all the time. So, like, Jesus weeping is, like, even me and, like, God, like, feels pain. And, like, what's... And so, in this context, it's kind of like... So, it's almost like the Batman versus Superman, do you bleed? Yeah. (laughs) It's just something like that where it's just, like, a little bit, like, of a weird, like... It's... I I, I guess I thought it was a little too ambitious and didn't really land for me. Like, the original line in that part, he just screams, fuck you at her. That would have fit better. I think so, too. 
So that happens, right? And apparently the Cenobites weren't going to honor the fucking deal. Because don't they all start stalking her throughout the house? Yeah, uh, Pinhead just had the fingers crossed behind his back while he was telling her. But he never really, like, guaranteed that it'd be okay. Bro, how sweet was the shot? Because after uh, Kirsty leaves the attic, she's walking back downstairs, and she passes, you know, the bedroom where Julia's, like, on the bed, her fucking face ripped open, and she's holding the puzzle box. How did Julia get there? What do you mean? Because she got stabbed in the staircase. Oh, they never show it. <laughs> she just wanders. Literally, she must have just got scooped up and just put in that fucked up position. <laughs> By Cenobite, they're like, oh, yeah. like, I can have, have some fun with this dead body. So Julie, so Kirsty walks in the room, and she's kind of staring at her, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's when the female, oh, the female Cenobite chases her in there. And uh, when she walks into a corner, fucking Pinhead's just standing behind her. But it looks like if he's, like, standing on a fucking box or something bro because he's like five feet above her head he's a little taller than he was yeah and uh she turns around and she says the words like oh shit which is like the perfect like um preview or whatever or it's how we felt as the audience because even i was like oh shit for real because you really think that they're gonna let her go because they let her go out the room so you're just like kind of shocked that the Cenobites like didn't like they didn't honor the deal at all and that scene is just, it's a beautiful shot, though, where, like, he's standing behind her in the corner of the room, and he's, like, he's about this much taller than her, like, standing uh-huh. over her. And it'd be, like, if you were in that situation, it'd be, like, ah, fuck. Like, there's no, there's no comeback. Like, I'm dead. But, so what she ends up doing is she tears the box out of uh, Julia's hands, because Julia's alive still, right? No, Julia's dead. Is she? Julia got killed at that point. Like, she'd already been, like, the, the Frank sucked the life out of her. Ah, yeah, yeah. So she snatches the puzzle box out of Julia's hands. Uh-huh. And somehow Kirsty figures out how to turn it into a weapon. Oh, s- smart. Real quick. Just like, it's like a Rubik's Cube master. Just click, click, click. Boom. Like thumb fucking over a circle. Literally, I feel like all she did was rubbed it. She could probably pick up like any like video game and just win. Yeah. And um, just starts fucking zapping Cenobites, bro. All of them. So easily, too. Like they and just then there's disappear. that corny like light effect that they all do. Yeah, it's like literally like, you know, like the picture and picture you used to be able to do with a cable. Mm-hmm. Like you can like put the little like, like corner like screen there. Yeah. Like it's literally just like that. It's just like a triangle screen appears in the middle and then they do like some cool like little like cartoon effects. Yeah. And, and that's they, pretty much it for the Cenobites. They all, one by one, they all get vaporized. Very easily gone. Until of course. Oh yeah. And uh, Christie's boyfriend shows up at this point. The house is like falling apart. Things are going real bad. I'm and he doesn't. Around. He doesn't even know that she's in there for sure, but he's got a hunch. So he goes <laughs> into the like collapsing house, right? Bad call, dude. And they run into each other, and um, it all stops because uh, yeah, she gets rid of all the other Cenobites, and everything gets quiet for a second, right? But then a doorway appears. Oh no. He goes to open the front door, but she notices the puzzle box is still, like, undone. Uh-huh. So when he opens the door, it's this long, dark hallway, and here comes the engineer, you know? Yeah. When it's fucking push cart dolly thing. <laughs> and what happens is the engineer and Kirsty kind of, like, start fighting over the puzzle box because she drops it, right? <laughs> it's really weak. And I told my girl, weird. I was like, why is she fucking slap boxing this massive demon monster? That has claws, that has sharp teeth, and all they're doing is kind of this, like, 
It's doing T-Rex arms at her. Just a little tug of war. Not really. Not no, really the, like a, the most effective thing for the demon either. He had, like I said earlier, a literal like scorpion tail. That a he could have hit her like real quickly just ended the fight. Mm-hmm. Instead, he gets sent back to the, the Hellverse. Very easily. Yep. And uh, what about the homeless guy, bro? I didn't get the homeless guy. I think he was supposed to be like, so at the very end of it, Kirsty goes with her boyfriend to bury the box and get rid of it for forever. That's what they're doing, right? Or they're going to burn it, right? Yeah, they're going to burn it in like some construction site or some shit. Yeah. Some gonna, abandoned lot. They're going to end this thing. And right before that happens, a homeless guy shows up. He turns into like a weird like dragon kind of looking creature. A demon bat demon bat <laughs> and grabs a box and just kind of flies away with it i think the homeless guy and that like that character was supposed to represent like the watcher of the box like the spiritual watcher that like kind of like owned it and knew its powers and just like brought it back to reset mm-hmm. and i don't know like there's anything more to it than that but i thought that part was weird because the whole time like we see that the demon the homeless guy is following around Cursey throughout the whole movie, and you don't really get like why and like what kind of supernatural like attachment this has to everything else that's going on, or why it even like looks for her or seeks her out. Yeah, it's very random, but I mean, maybe that's kind of a play on that a lot of things are inevitable. Like, it knew she was going to end up with the box, that's why it followed her. That's true. It like was never like. Something she could escape from. It was destiny, right? Destined. And, um, but yeah. Fun note about the homeless guy. He had beautiful fucking eyes. He's always like these, like, blue eyes, like, human. Didn't he have, like, gorgeous eyes, like, on his dirty ass skin and, like, fucked up outfit? And I just saw, and I, they had a close up on him. I was like, that man's got gorgeous fucking eyes. Anytime, like, a homeless dude's in a movie, like, it, like, kind of takes me out of it because, like, they never do, like, homeless people, like, like, they don't do them right. Because, like, one thing about homeless people, like, when you, like, roll up on them, like, their faces, like, and features, like, are all, like, weathered. Like, it's all, like, it's not, you can't just slap dirt on, like, a Hollywood actor and be, like, homeless. Which every movie does. There's, like, this guy's homeless. Like, this guy's not homeless. Like, he took a bath, he'd look normal. And that's not how homeless people in real life look. If they took a bath, they'd still look homeless. Yeah. Because that shit's a rough life. True that. <laughs> but no. So, I mean, that's pretty much Hellraiser. Uh, yeah, we cover a lot. I think we did a good job. How would you rate it? Ooh, I really liked it. I think I'd give it a whole five. Five. Well, I do uh, one to six. That's at five. So, you go five out of yeah. six. Okay, okay. You know what, sir? I'll meet you at five. I also liked it. And I also feel like there's rewatchability to it. There is a lot. Like, it's one of those where it's not like this, like, overly grotesque movie that you can't just, like, put on. Like, it's just, like, a good, it's, like, a legit good, well-written, well-shot horror movie that's just, like, is gonna forever live in this, like, cartoonish, like, version of just, like, Pinhead. But, like, he's, like... Like that, like that's just not the movie at all. It's like an actual, like down to earth, really cool family horror movie. They didn't overuse them. No, they didn't. Like when they come in, like it's a big deal when the Cenobites show up, right? 
Yeah, kind of like in like uh, Silence of the Lambs, like Hannibal Lecter is in like maybe like twelve minutes of that movie, mm-hmm. but like it's all you think about because he's like the horror evil bad guy. But in that movie, I would say he had a bigger impact than what Pinhead did to this movie. So yeah, I mean it's kind of like we always reference Game of Thrones. Like uh-huh. Pinheads, the Cenobites are like the White Walkers, and fucking Lannisters are Frank and Julia, right? They're yeah. the kind of upfront villains. Yeah, when the over this like overarching real big bad. Like evils in the background, but that evil's just and in a way the evil like really wasn't like the bad guy, it was Frank and Julia. Yeah. All the uh the Cenobites represented was um what's it called? They were pretty much like the overall justice system. Like they were the actual scale in terms of I don't know how to describe that. Uh, da, da. they were the equalizer, like Denzel. Exactly like Denzel. <laughs> they really were. They equalized fucking Frank. Right, because if you think about it, like Frank and Julia were kind of OP compared to Christie, but then the fucking Cenobites come in, and it's like, no, 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 no. You go back down. Yeah, they are just people. You need to really be scared about. <laughs> like we can just take you unless you have this box and kill us with it, which is very simple. <laughs> I really recommend the uh, the sequel though, Fire. Really, I thought that the sequel title was so bad that I didn't want to see the movie. No, because the premise of what the sequel is is uh, so you'd think like, why would you ever touch the box again, right? Yeah. Well, because uh, Frank was wearing Larry's skin. The point of it is that he might have took Larry with him to Cenobites. Oh, for to real? the Hellverse. So Christy starts getting like kind of how Frank did for Julia. She thinks like Larry's reaching out to her. And that's kind of where that whole plot is. Oh, nice. It's Christy kind of going like, ah, oh, fuck. Now I got to save Larry. Hellbound. Hellbound. Hell- Hellbound's like. Hellbound. Well, that's the name of the book. For real? The Hellbound Heart. Is there like, is there a metal band, a metal band called Hellbound? I fucking guarantee there is. <laughs> Hellbound. Nope, guys, but that's uh, that's going to be this part where we talk about the movie. Now we're just going to freestyle a little bit. Have I'm good ready. times and fun. It's not even freestyle. We're talking We're talking Justice League. Yeah, it's pretty much just the Justice League segment. So the four hours Snyder Cut was released. How'd you feel about it? It was too damn long, dude. Like, Did you fall asleep? I, I didn't watch it on one sitting. I watched it maybe over five sittings in a week, which kind of... Five fucking sittings, bro? It's four hours. That's five sittings of 45 minutes apiece. That's a lot. Bro, movies are two hours long. Just watch it twice. I mean, I just, I couldn't really, like, get deep into it. Like, it was, I, okay, so, I would give it a six, a seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. I thought it was a good, fun movie that just, like, you know, like, it was good. Like, it was just, like, I was entertained the whole time. There's not a lot, like. Like bad, I can say about it. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of these people out here, they're trying to like be the edgy people and be like, "Oh man, like this was God's gift to cinema. This was amazing." You know, have you seen Zack Snyder's full vision, his five his five film vision, bro? Have you seen it? Do you know this man's a fucking genius? And I'm like, dude, like it wasn't that. Like it was good, but it wasn't that. Yeah, I feel like the media is pushing that narrative a lot. Um, the whole thing with uh. Joss Whedon and uh, Ray Fisher, the cyborg character. Have uh-huh. you seen all that stuff in the news? Very strange. And, like, I really like the cyborg character, and I wish he had a bigger part in the 
actual film, but like that's uh, that's like but, a whole another like. Rabbit. So we saw the whole thing with the Snyder cut. Was his part that big? It was pretty big. I think he had a big part. Well, I mean, it was big, but like, was it great? Like, they're making it out that his arc was something we've never seen before. But personally, I mean, all we saw was we saw Cyborg play football. A little bit of a dynamic more with his dad. And that's about it. The thing that, like, these movies need, which I think that Cyborg gave him, is that grounding element. So, like, without any of Cyborg's character and story and development, it's just a whole bunch of heroes trying to save the world from a big bad. And this, I think Cyborg's character actually gave them, like, oh, my dad's involved, my, like, everything's like kind of like a little more personal to me. So you kind of need that person that has a, the personal stake in the, in saving the world or in like what he's doing. Listen, I hear all that, but my biggest problem was, so cyborg's dad, well, cyborg has that car crash, right? And his dad has to like, he bestows him with the power of the box. Right. Yeah. And after he gives him the power of the box, he tells him, look, he's like, you're the most powerful person in the world. You're the most capable person in the world with all that I've given you. Um, you're the best person to be in this position. Why? We saw him play football. <laughs> he sc- he tried really hard to score a touchdown. He got there. And that's it. Yeah, we don't really know. He had daddy issues. Anything else morally about him of why he's a good person or anything like that. His character is really just... It's underdeveloped even with the extra shit in it. I think so. I think you're right. I, but I think that his character was like important to have that like personal stake is what I had. Exactly. Like I'm not one of them people who's all like, because th- there's a narrative, right, that's out there. It's like, oh, we need more black superheroes. Uh-huh. I'm tired of this shit. Like, no, I'm not like that. I just want good characters, man. I want the character to be warranted. To be honest with you, though, everybody in Justice League is pretty fucking underdeveloped. Everybody in it. It's, and I think it just became, like, a whole... But, like, it's just, like, you can't just cut the dudes... Like, I, I didn't see a reason for cutting his story. Because his story is, like, kind of like the connective tissue of this movie that I said is okay, not great. Like, I'm not I'm not here pushing that, oh, man, like, this dude has, like... Like a beautifully written backstory and everything like worked perfect. Well, yeah, because literally just today I read this article that it was on Yahoo. It was like, um, Josh, it's because of Joss Whedon that we didn't get one of the greatest uh, superhero arcs in the modern movie era. And that's not that is not cyborg, that. right? That's definitely what's that thing called virtue signaling, right? Yes, where you're trying to be edgy and say like, oh, this could have happened if blah. Yeah, and I think Twitter gets like Twitter and like a lot of like that kind of like helps to like it piles on each other so it's just like constant you can't say anything against like the black character because then it would be a backlash that you are just kind of targeting that person because he's black which happens a lot to like black people but like this isn't like it's just like you can't really go against like what are you gonna say to combat someone on that (laughs) article without being like racist you know yeah you really can't like or without coming off as a racist. So, like, that kind of, like... And also, like, this movie, like, something with, like, these huge, huge, huge films is, like, you can't, like, 
just be in the middle on this shit anymore. Like, you can't just be like, hey, that was a decent movie. I had fun watching it. You have to either really, really, really love it or be like, oh, it's trash. Yeah, I'm definitely with you, though. Like, I'm in the middle. Like, it was good. I liked it. Like, it was fun to watch. It had fun parts. Like, the scene at the end when Batman's, like, rolling in the car and, like, the, all the superheroes are next to each other and just, like, kicking ass on the way to the, the middle hive uh-huh. is fucking one of the cooler, like, superhero movies I've seen in a while. Like, uh, parts of the movie. Because, like, we get bat- full Batman against, like, legit aliens and you can, like, sense, like, the... One thing I liked about this movie is, like, the whole, with Batman, you sense that, like, he's, like, he's out of his league. Yeah. Everybody else is, like, on the level of, like, okay, like, we're here to fight these aliens. Like, we can do that. Everybody's practically invincible, but Batman's just there in a costume. (laughs) He's here in a a car. He's in his cosplay, bro. That's all Ben Affleck's doing. He's cosplaying Superman. Yeah, and he's just, like, literally just, like, in a car. And, like, I thought that was really cool because he was, like, damn, Batman's bad. Like, that was one of the most badass, like, Batman sequences ever. I thought it was hilarious, the scenes when he's in the Batmobile, and whenever they'd show him, it was just a very unflattering image of Ben Affleck. He, like, he had too much lean backwards, so, like, he was kind of, like... He's always kind of, like... His chin was kind of, like... He's, like, scrunched up, so his arms are pushed together. Like, that's why I think it was cool, like, the Nolan Batman, he was, like, in the car, like, leaning forward on it. It makes him look a little, like, more strong and charged, even though, like, it'd be, like, a stupid way to drive a car like that, because all your weight's on it, but Mm -hmm. it makes him seem like he's just, like, he's more controlled than just... It's a more flattering image for the actor. He's like laying back. It's like he's getting like, I can't really say it. But. I uh, my favorite parts, bro, was anything with Superman. Like, listen, Superman is my least favorite character. My least favorite superheroes, not least favorite, but I don't care for him as much as others because I feel like he's not an interesting character, right? Yeah. He's very Mary Sue, very Captain America esque, right? He's uh-huh. always doing what's right. So, for me, for them to even, like, toy with the idea of him being, you know, dark side Superman. Or to show him, you know, that little scene where he fought the Justice League. Like, that's what I want to see, bro. I want to see Superman doing soup fucking epic shit, bro. I want to see just that conflict. And I think that's something that the Justice League really, like, brought out. And really, like, any, like, of the comics or, like, graphic novels that involve both batman and superman like one of the relevant and prevalent things is that batman is legit terrified of superman like batman like in the comics keeps Mm. crypt kryptonian kryptonite kryptonite my bad kryptonite how dare you he always has kryptonite like stashed away just in case Mm -hmm. like it's always like hey like this dude is like awesome good and like our savior but also like it's not like like if it went bad it goes bad bad like quickly so like i really like that they kind of like the whole time like everybody has that like reverence for him and loves him but also is like very much like he's not just like like he's not just one of us like he is above us and that is scary because the only thing we have that like keeps him grounded and keeps him good is his humanity and if he loses that or if something happens to that like we don't know what can happen have you seen brightburn I've heard of it. I heard like it's super cool though. We should do Brightburn next. <laughs> I'd be down. No, nah, but um, yeah, dude, fucking yeah, he has a uh, tangents or failsafe for all the superheroes. I think that's like an arc in one of the comic books. Is that Batman has like a uh like one stop be all for like every single superhero, not just Superman. That's why he's the best. Yeah, he's supposed to be the world's greatest detective, man. He's just like okay, like 
who doesn't do any detectiving in this movie. And that's right. I said detectiving. He doesn't have to. He's like has like satellites up in the air. He's got money, bro. I was thinking about like like the satellite part. He's like, I have four. Like like you know that part where he's like talking about satellites. I was like, it's not impossible. Say like Jeff Bezos is sending out like for the military like five or six different like satellites, just put them up in the air for the military or whatever, like doing like some work like that. Mm-hmm. Who's to say you couldn't just like pop a few off up there on your own and like then no one really like bad luck. Oh yeah, dude. I'm pretty sure like uh Elon Musk and shit has some up there. Like you don't think he has his own satellite? Probably. Like you ever seen uh what's it called? Kingsman? No, I've never seen that. You've never seen I've Kingsman? Heard it's awesome too. Holy know. shit. That's next level. That's action. It's not even horror, bro. Go <laughs> home and watch that whenever you get a chance. Oh, my dad put that on blind for me, bro. Honestly, one of my favorite action movies ever fucking made. But no so in that movie, there's a part where like wealthy people are talking, and at some point, some somebody jams the signal, so a satellite doesn't work. So the wealthy guy picks his phone up and he goes, "Hello, yeah, uh, Bill Gates, cool. Can I borrow one of your satellites? Mine went down." <laughs> so like that's what you're talking about is that the wealthy people have their own fucking satellites and shit. Yeah, and I think a lot of people get like hung up on like the implausibility of Batman, but I'm like, have you seen Bill- how billionaires act in the world right now? We don't know what Jeff Bezos does when he's not like on his weird like. Yeah. Like rants on like online stuff like that. Like who knows? So the main problem with Superman, right, is that essentially we know that he is so strong that we're all ants and he's essentially a child. And at any point he could just pluck your fucking legs off. It's done. Yeah. You don't have to. Easily, bro. Without yeah. any nothing. Even if you have kryptonite in your hand, he, he's so fucking fast. He could, or hell, he could stand miles away like a sniper and laser beam me, bro. Like for miles, just he doesn't even have to do the the he doesn't even have to do like cyclops and touch his eyes. He just like bro, just it's it. just done. <laughs> he's so he's as fast as the Flash. He could tear your limbs off by just like it's just so over the top. Like you can't even I we can't even fathom how powerful this man is. Yeah, and that kind of messes it all up because in any situation you're like, why isn't this guy decapitated? Yeah, it's just like it's like dumb. It's like okay, like he's just like a, the the queen chess. Like it's the over. Like you can't really do anything. Mm-hmm. You're just gonna lose. So you ever seen? What you want to say? I just, I just I just don't really like Superman movies that much. Is what I'm saying. You ever seen that show on Amazon Prime called The Boys? No, I've heard that's cool too. Oh, you know what it's about, right? It's about like real life superheroes or like. It's basically a, a mirror of the Justice League. Uh huh. If they were all evil. What for? Real? And, but they're all like. Um, they're all like making movies and shit like Marvel style and they're all like celebrities they're on Twitter and stuff and everybody loves them but low key they're all terrible people. Oh, for real. And so it's about like the uh the collateral damage survivors that are like trying to stop them. Uh-huh. But it's very grounded in real life based like if me and you were to decide to try to kill Superman how would we go about it? Oh, that's cool. It's a very dope concept. I would watch it. I would watch that for sure. Um but no, so yeah. I mean, I watched it I watched it in one sitting. I started at eight o'clock at night. I fell asleep at the two hour mark for an hour. Rewinded it back an hour, and I got done at like one in the morning. It's, like it's just too long. Like, did, what did you think of the epilogue? I thought the epilogue was pointless, except for the when they showed the um, Martian Manhunter. Which part? The part where they go to the uh, apocalypse future? Yeah, I thought that was stupid. I thought it was cool. I thought it would be cool if they like showed them like surviving but it was literally just a scene so they could have give joker a monologue 
That was uh, Zack Snyder's Hail Mary for the studio to let him actually shoot some more movies, I think. You think so? Either that or that was him pandering to fans going like, if they had let me do something, this is what could have happened, guys. I would have gave you more Joker, guys. You know, yeah. you guys love Joker. Remember Heath Ledger? He was cool. It's completely ridiculous to think how they would have gotten there, but... Yeah, <clears> like, <throat> that whole part of, like, them, like, just bringing Joker along for something is just so stupid. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Because, like... Well, no, I mean, that's the uh, the real Suicide Squad. No, really? Yeah, because he's in the Suicide... I'm pretty sure. Not, because I know they put Harley Quinn. Squad. Joker isn't. I don't think in any of the comics he is. Because, like, they'd never trust him. I don't know. I don't know enough about it to argue for sure about it. I'm pretty sure he's not. Because, like, Joker's just, like, the one guy that is like, no. I always thought he was possibly in one of them. Because there's different iterations of the Suicide Squad. Like, a yeah. fuck ton of them. I don't know for sure. But, yeah, yeah. So, that's what I pictured, though. Was like, this is what the Suicide Squad should have been. Like, the Joker, Deadshot, anybody fucking else they could find. Yeah, it's just all these random people. Like, it's just, like, it was just, like, why is Batman, like, in this crew? And, like, if you already have, like, one human who, like, you have to, like, carry around Batman. Like, why are you bringing Joker, who's just, like, over here fucking everything up? Mm-hmm. Ever. Like, so I, I was mean, just, it's, like... it's an interesting concept. It'd be a cool dynamic to see, like, a full movie of. I think it's something that they're, like, oh, we're not going to get another movie, so let's just, like, kind of pander and do this, like, cute little scene with, like, all these, he- like, villains and heroes together. And, like... We're going to make you guys think like, oh, it's like this meta cool thing, but it's really just, it's it's a comic like book movie. It's not like too deep. Like it's not that much. So I think like, I hate that like DC tries to do that a little bit. Yeah. I, I told you, I liked it. I liked the whole like tease of what it promised. It just gave, it just gave the fanboys more to like fanboys. Here's my thing though. I didn't like Jared Leto's performance that much, bro. I, don't I like feel like he doesn't have the voice. The look is right to me, but the voice just wasn't there. Not at all. Like, he doesn't have, like, that, like... He doesn't have the delivery. It's not a distinct enough voice. And he doesn't have, like, the... Where, like, you think, like, this dude's unhinged, but also, like, completely in control at the same time. Which I think the Joker, like, should have. Yeah, like, I think he had the unhinged part, but he definitely doesn't command. He doesn't... And Joker should have the command. Like, there's, like... The Joker scenes, like the Jack Nicholson scenes, where he's just like is completely in charge of like the whole room, and obviously with Heath Ledger, like the scene where they go up to the penthouse, and he's just like in front of like a hundred people talking, and just every single like you can hear a pin drop except for him, mm-hmm. and he's just like in charge. Like I don't think that Jared Leto ever really had that part when he played Joker in Suicide Squad or any of the movies he was portrayed Joker in. Yeah, but I mean, I felt that way also about uh, Joaquin Phoenix as a Joker. I think that was just like a different take on that. But like in this like superhero verse, like he has to be like I think bigger. like you know the cartoon version of the Joker was Mark Hamill fucking Luke Skywalker, right? No, was it? I didn't yeah, know that. he's the guy who does the cartoon Joker voice. Uh-huh. I feel like him and Heath Leather Heath Ledger's Joker is so like vocally a thing that it set a bar. That even Joaquin Phoenix couldn't do. Not at all. Like he like was very like it was very it. very. He talked very sweet and soft. Very. Uh, can I tell you a joke, Randy? Something like that. Like uh-huh. really, the voice is right off the bat. The voice fucks me up. The look is there, as was Jared Leto's. I feel. I don't know if you like Jared Leto's look. I don't like. I didn't like him in like the previous movies where he was like the gangster Joker, like the he slick was, back and shit. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. No. I like the long hair, though, and, like, the crazy-looking face in this one. I think that was a cool take, and it fit the post-apocalyptic narrative. Yeah, even though it's just dumb that he'd be there with them. 
I, th- I thought it was funny. He was like, when Batman was like, he's like, hey, trust me, I will fucking kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Ben Affleck is like, like I love he like really like Ben Affleck. Like Ben Affleck, like as Batman, like just did a good job, like portraying like a being terrified of everybody, and like just having like a duty to get this like kicked off. And also, he's just like the perfect level of corny when he tells his jokes. Like he's, it's good. Like I like it. Like it just like works for me. It's definitely a fun take on the older Batman. Yeah, it's not like as serious on himself, but he's super serious too. And it's a kind of like meta being like, oh, I'm serious, but I'd be like, it's like ridiculous how serious I am. How do you think Robert Pattinson's gonna do? I think he's gonna be awesome. I think I'm really. You think he's gonna kill it? Yeah. Hmm. I think it's gonna be like really freaking awesome. You ever seen Batman Beyond? Um, which was that? The one where uh, Bruce Wayne's an old man and the Batman, oh, some the teenage kid, yeah, where he yeah, has an all the, black suit. Probably like the first season of it. Yeah, yeah. Where he has like the red, the red bat in the middle. Mm-hmm. He's, like, like he's the, the best Batman shit. suit. That shit was fire. It was fire. I think it'd have been cooler to see him do that. Like, I want to see a younger take on Batman. Maybe that's what this is gonna be. That'd be cool. It'd be crazy if like he walks in and like Bruce Wayne's like there. I know in the uh, on the CW row in the Flash universe, that's what they're gonna start doing. Yeah, they're gonna like bring in the multiverse. So there's Michael Keaton's Batman, fucking uh, the Supermans. They've already started doing it with all the other Superman actors and shit. Uh-huh. And I've heard they might bring in a Batman Beyond character. What? Would be dope. For real? There's like 50 seasons of those though. Fuck catching up. With the Batman Beyonds or the Flash? No, of the Flash. I like watched all... some of it. And I was like, "Oh, this is pretty cool," but I was like halfway through, like, "Fuck no, dude!" Because it's intertwined with the Arrow, the Supergirl, and each of those are like five seasons deep and shit. Ooh, I might have to go on a binge. But actually, I don't care about DC stuff that much, so I'm not gonna do it. I haven't even watched WandaVision yet, so we're definitely not watching the Flash on CW. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw like the first five of WandaVision. It seemed cool, man, but it was kind of slow. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like not really like the demographic for like the superhero shit, anyways. Like, I don't really care for it that much, and I just, I just don't need someone telling me how great and like how like well put together and thought out this like superhero movie was. When I'm like really like it's not that deep, like it's really not. And you're trying to tell me that this Zack Snyder is a genius and is something different than it is than what I see with my own two eyes. It's it's good, but it's not like something on another level. No, definitely isn't. It's it's okay. Is it better than the Avengers movies? No, it wasn't. But I mean, like that's what we've been saying is the characters weren't as fleshed out as like Iron Man, Thor, and all that shit was. And I don't think they were even super super fleshed out. But they understood that they didn't have to like make their personality choices like insanely like huge decisions. They just had to make me have fun while I watched the movie. And I think when I watch the DC movies, I just have a little less fun watching it. And that's really all it is to me. Mm-hmm. Nah, man, but so we're coming up on uh, two hours. Not a bad episode. Not bad at all. I think it was good. I really like the whole Justice League grants we went on. Yeah. So so you like Justice League more or less. Yeah, I enjoyed We were both in the middle with it, right? We were, I'm very much like it was like a six or seven out of ten. Maybe 6.5. Like I enjoyed it. I don't know if I'd watch it again, like, because it's so long, but... I'll give it a confident seven. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. No, nah, man, but with all that being said, we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. I think this is number 19. 19? Yes. I got a dude coming on Monday. I think I'm going to do American Psycho. Oh, for real? Yeah, because I'm read i reading that book right now, and I've already watched the movie, so I'm like, why not? That's cool. 
It's a terrible fucking book. Is it awful? Horrible. <laughs> it's sixteen hours. Oh Jesus! And so I'm good. like, I'm like six hours in, bro, and it's more or less the exact same movie. Just with like none of the comedic elements, and it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the exact same movie with like stretched out thirty minutes for every two minute scene. You get that with some like every like a couple books. Like most of the time, the book's better than the movie, but then sometimes the book's like okay. okay I haven't gotten okay. to like the disgusting parts yet, so maybe that's what I'm waiting for. But thus far, bro, like I said, about four to six hours in, I'm just I'm struggling. It's funny, but no. So Brightburn for the next one. I'm down to watch that eventually, yeah. Fuck yeah. No, but all right, Nick, thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. And uh, guys, make sure to check out the Facebook, Instagram, or also on TikTok, Death Taco Podcast. If you're looking for the audio version, Spotify, iTunes, Google. I don't know if I said YouTube already, but we'll say YouTube again. Uh, With that being said, another day, another review. This has been the Death Taco Podcast.